Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This week we have a great guest with us today from the pod, her normal son, JT. Hello, JT. How are you doing? Yeah, um, I, I've been there, man. I, I did my time in the Midwest and where I'm originally from in the Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah, I know what that snow's like, man. I feel for you. Uh, I'm in New Zealand, so uh, we're in the Southern Hemisphere, so it's summer here, so definitely no snow. <laughs> uh, it's um, it's very different. I mean, oh yeah, it, it is. Don't don't get me wrong. It's um, it's in some ways it's it's similar, in a lot of ways it's different. So. Um, I mean, I like it here, obviously, or I wouldn't have stayed for the last uh, 17 years nearly. But um, I mean, we, we've got some differences here, but like living on any island, it's the cost of living is a lot more expensive than it was in the US. But um, yeah, man, I, look, I, I really enjoy it. It's, um, it's a different uh, pace of life. It's still a bit go-go, but nothing like it is um, in the US. 
it's kind of like it goes New Zealand and then Australia and then the US like you know the rungs it's just uh, it's a bit more laid back here and if you go out in the provinces like uh, you know moving out of the city and moving into the country in the US um, you go out there and it's 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 a bit of a slower pace but uh, yeah not, nothing like back home <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> so which which state are you in? Okay, Tennessee. I've been through there. I uh, When I was a boy, we used to travel a lot to go and see family. But, um, I mean, as, as with anyone, it, when you get older and you start working, you don't get to travel as much. But I've, I've definitely been through Tennessee. And uh, I live not far from you on the grand scale of things. I went to school in central Illinois. So um, I, I spent four or five years there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Corn, soybeans, wheat. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, so go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no stress. So basically, uh, my my program, the first program that I started, um, I I lost my job last January, so about a year ago, and the first few months I just kind of relaxed because I've always been a workaholic. I've always worked long hours and everything else, and my uh, uh, my my wife basically told me just have a break, just relax. And I started looking at some of the things that I'd wanted to do in my life. And one of those was writing a book like bucket list stuff. And I started doing that. And uh, it was a lot more involved than I thought. I've always been a writer, but trying to keep things straight, like, you know, it's one thing to write a short story, but when you're trying to write a book, there's a lot involved. And then kind of partway through that, um, I heard about um, how easy it had podcasting is not necessarily easy but what i mean is the platforms and the accessibility had become a lot yeah. easier yeah and so uh in in kind of march april may i just started saying well i'll try that and i'll, I'll see how it goes and i started a program called the fortunate son and the idea about that was just kind of talking about life's journey where it's taken me everything else and uh, the tagline for the show was like uh, the uh, exploring the human condition and the, the journey of life. And very early in that program, I worked out that I had like, you know, kind of our life journey, uh, mental health, wellness, everything else. And then I had this other kind of bucket of stuff, which was the paranormal, the unexplained, the mysteries. And I very quickly worked out you can't host that all on one show. I mean, you could, but yeah. it's two completely different streams. So then I peeled off and did the paranormal sun and, uh, the, the fortunate sun, I did kind of like a season of it yeah. and it's still there, but it's basically on permanent hiatus because I've, I've just gotten, there's been so much involved in doing the paranormal sun that, that I've left the fortunate sun to one side and, and, you know, no offense, those topics are great, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. So that's why I haven't gone back because it's just like, I'd rather focus on one thing and do it really well yeah. than kind of be split. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing the Paranormal Sun for 
uh, let's see, I started in May. Uh, I'm on my third season now and uh, lots of lots of bonus material in that. But similar to yourself, it's just it's a passion. It's I enjoy doing it. It's something that I've been exploring my whole life, uh, as, as we were talking before about reading and that. It's just been something I've always I've always been interested in. And the whole idea for me was I wanted other people uh, to be aware of some of these things. And, and again, some of the things that not everyone's covered. I mean, everyone's like, you can find stuff about the Bermuda Triangle, about uh, Roswell, about yeah. the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot. You can find that anywhere. And it's not that I don't cover any of that, but it's more like I, I want people to be aware of other things, other UFO cases, other cryptids, other mysteries than just the, the ones that everyone's heard of. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm like, like finding that one story that's like I haven't heard before at all. It's really interesting. Like the Hopkinsville, I've heard about the Hopkinsville one in Kentucky. That was a crazy story. Actually, did you cover that in your podcast? No, I, I haven't yet. Uh, most of the really, so if, if we look at it in kind of tiers like yeah. A, B, C, I haven't really covered a lot of the A ones. And, and like I say, that's the reason behind it. Just that everyone and their cousin and their dog and their wife is all, all kind of given their spin on those stories. Now, eventually I will get to some of those. Uh, most of the ones I've kind of done have been B rung and below. They're ones that I've always been fascinated by. And look, Kelly Hopkinsville is definitely in that in that basket of ones that I'm fascinated by. It's one of the first cases I remember as 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 a young boy reading about and really kind of going, "What is this?" Because you know the the whole goblins aspect and everything else is completely different than Roswell. But again, the thing is, I mean, between Hellier and in the last five years, especially, so many people have covered over Hopkinsville, and I will get there. Uh, and eventually I'll do Roswell as well. But the thing is, I've just found so many fascinating cases. Uh, the one that I'm currently working on, I did the first half of the Lonnie Zamora case, and then I'm going to be doing the second half uh, this this Wednesday, and I'll release that. And the, that one and Shag Harbor are probably the two kind of highest profile cases that I've covered so far. And those are kind of, they're almost one, like tier 1A to me. They're, they're not quite Roswell, but they're very well known, especially in the UFO community. Sure. <laughs> like, uh, this last, my last episode, like we covered like the Baja Mexico. Now, like there's a bunch of sharks and they're thinking it's like recovering a UFO base. Out yeah. In, yeah. Pretty interesting. Well, it's 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 really funny. Um, I didn't hear like it's it's not that he hadn't been doing it, but I didn't actually know that Jimmy Church was based in Southern California and all of that until I moved here. And I mean, I lived in Southern California and going from where I lived to where he was, it wasn't very far. And so I find it quite funny in, in hindsight that, you know, he was just up the road and in, 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 I think it's I think he's based out of Glendale. But uh, he's done a few episodes about that, and I've seen him on Ancient Aliens and that talking about that that base off the coast. And it is look, it's it's pretty insane the amount of UFO activity in that area. So kind of Southern California down um, into Baja, yeah, it's it's pretty insane the amount of stories and the things that people have seen. And it's it's the same over on our side of the world, kind of Australia and 
some of the Pacific Islands, places like uh, PNG, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and, and Vanuatu. But unfortunately, I, I uh, again, this is just my thoughts on it. But it seems like a lot of the kind of the mainstream, they say, oh, well, it's just kind of superstitious people because, for example, you know, they'll label, they'll say the people in Baja, they're Catholics and they're, you know, they're, they're just seeing things where there's nothing there. But uh, the, th the thing that makes me crack up about it all is not, for example, I, I did a case not long ago, similar kind of setup in Papua New Guinea. And basically what the investigators wanted to do at the time, because this was 1959, they basically said, okay, so there was an Anglican minister and he was white and he saw it and that's fine. But, oh, he, he had bad vision. But the like the 28 or 29 other people who weren't Australian, like, like weren't white Australians, they basically just threw all of it out and they mm. said, oh, well, they don't count. It's like, hmm. hang on. <laughs> what do you mean they don't count? Be that's a count. Yeah, they, they, that's it. They just said, oh, well, they're, they're superstitious and everything else. But this again, this was 1959, man. This wasn't 17 something. It was, yeah, it's, it's, it's these, these people were good witnesses. And uh, it's, it, it's just, I'm sure you've seen it in a lot of these cases. I am not saying, and I say it on the show all the time. Far from, I, I'm not the person that believes every time someone sees lights in the sky, that it's an alien craft or it's from another dimension or whatever yeah. but it only it, it only takes one it only takes a handful of cases to be real to kind of change the the dynamic of everything and if if it's true that something like three to five percent of all the cases are actually something unexplainable i think that we should be trying to explain those things yeah i think the uh, u.s government is getting pretty interested in ufos lately like it, it's becoming like a real like security concern. Well, see, this is something that's always made me personally laugh. Like for the last thirty plus years, yeah. is when you hear things like government officials or military officials saying, "Well, they're not a threat to national security." It's like, of course they are. Hang on, yeah, it's it's like hang on. Let's just say, for argument's sake, let's just let's discard the really. Uh, out there claims of, of craft going 5,000 miles an hour. I don't care if they're going 100 miles of an hour. If they're in our airspace and we don't know who they are and we don't know what they're doing, they're a threat to national security. It's by definition. Yeah. And I've had several people say to me, oh, well, why, why would the government um, come out and say that it's not a threat? Well, in my humble opinion, this is the reality. What do we pay our taxes? to the government to do no matter what your country is one of the key things is to defend us yeah. so if you're admitting that you've got stuff that's basically doing whatever it wants in your airspace as soon as you admit that you're basically saying we can't do our job as the military as the government and if the u.s military can't do it who on the planet can because it's the most powerful military in the history of the world. So if the U.S. admits that, then all the other countries have to basically admit, well, we can't control our airspace, obviously, because the U.S. can't. Yeah, it's like a film, the aliens are real. They were like, everyone freak out because like, well, we can't do your job now, apparently. It's, I was just flying around doing, doing donuts in the sky, basically. Like those one guy, that uh, one Tic Tac video came out yeah like, oh he went down the, the by the ocean and like up to the sky like five thousand whatever feet in there and like 
two seconds, but take the fuck. Well, and and the thing is about uh, like the whole you know the tic tac UFO footage and all that. Mm-hmm. It's look, it's 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 all really good, and I'm not saying that it isn't. But the thing that the general person in the public, so someone who's not as involved in this as as you and I, mm-hmm. and a lot of other people are, they don't realize that this has been going on for at least. 60 70 years where there have been naval vessels at sea seeing things rising out of the water seeing things going into the water seeing massive craft i mean there was a case uh in vietnam and i can't remember it off the top of my head but this guy was on an aircraft carrier and they basically got ordered to go to uh battle stations so everyone in indoors you know locked the bulkheads and everything else and he wasn't quick enough and he was on the bridge and he saw this massive craft and basically, as soon as that uh, battle station alert ended, an officer came straight up to him and said, if you want to keep your career, you want to stay in the Navy. If you do not want to get a dishonorable discharge, you didn't see anything. You shut the hell up. If you ever open your mouth, you'll answer to me. And so, of course, the guy is... is most people would do he wasn't going to jeopardize his career and everything else so he shut up and he only talked about it later and again this is one of the things that i chuckle about when you get the so to me there's kind of there's you got two groups you've got skeptics which i've got no problem with skeptical minds should be involved but then you've just got debunkers that are just out to prove everybody's yeah that it's like they'll they'll do whatever it takes to prove any story wrong and that's what they always say well why don't these people come forward it's like well again man it's like they've they've got they've got families they've got livelihoods to protect and everything else and again we've heard these stories over and over again about not just their livelihood being threatened but their lives being threatened and their family being threatened so of course they're not going to come out and say something and the muckers man they they kind of make annoy me they're like they can like lick actually lick a ufo themselves and like it's not real you know what I mean? It's fake. There's, there's, there's a few out there, man. There's, there's a few debunkers out there. It's, I don't think it's as bad now. And what I mean by that is, there's not four or five or six high level people out there that are debunking. Yeah. It's more, it's more like across the group. It's like this person snipes this bit of information and this person so there, there might not be one spokesperson coming out and saying you're crazy or you don't know what you saw or it was the planet venus but uh you've still got these people out and in fact on my last episode one of the things that i discussed about was you know that you always get these silly comments like no one's ever got an ashtray from a flying saucer or no one's ever got a uh, a cigarette lighter or something else and they're basically saying well you need you need this proof yeah. well at the same time to me when you've got these really good cases with lots of witnesses and everything else, well, that's fine. You, you say we need extraordinary proof. Well, it's the same. When you go to debunk it, don't just give me, oh, it was the planet Venus or it was swamp gas or put some thought into it. If you can sit there and show me on paper and show me a really good explanation, but just as often as these cases where people say they saw something just as often as one side comes forward and says oh no that's not what you saw i've seen so many other times where i it it just annoys me to no end because i i hear things like this case is solved it's like no it's not it's just that's your conjecture you haven't proven anything you've just put forward a theory but you say it's solved it's because they want people to mentally say oh well that case is explained away so i won't worry about it anymore true 
like a kind of like Roswell. Roswell, uh, even this Lonnie Zamora case, it's you read these articles and they don't they, they just say solved. It's like, oh, case solved. And well, then you go and you actually read the article. And again, it's just a theory or he heard a story from someone. There's no proof. It's just but when people read that article and it says solved, like you say, then in people's mind, oh, well, it must be explained now. It works. Pretty smart. It's a good, good way to let's get people to digging into stuff. Well, the, the average person that's living their life and going to work and following their sports team and all of that, they don't care. they're not going to dig into it as care. much as, yeah. as you and I, you know, um, you and I and the people who really love this and there is a growing group, yeah. they'll read that article and, and they'll get what we just talked about. They'll read that article and they'll say, well, this doesn't prove anything. But for the average person out there that just sees that article, sees that headline or sees that uh, that byline on the news, they'll go, oh, well, it's explained. You know, they're not going to dig in, in depth with it. it. That's just my feeling anyway. That's what I tend to see. Yeah, I agree with you. So what was this experience you had at five years old? Um. I have had a few different things. Which 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 one was that? Um, was uh, was was that to do with uh, your dad? Um, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, my dad lived in a uh, like a rental farm. Uh, so kind of like a, a not farm. not a massive farm, but a few acres, probably four or five acres, and there was a farmhouse and barns and all of that. And from a very young age, I've always been one of those people that some people call it heebie-jeebies or they call it nerves, but you know, you'll go into a certain place and you just get a, a real negative vibe. Yeah. And I always felt a really negative vibe around this property where, where my dad lived and he was separated from my mom and it was probably a half hour drive, 45 minutes, something like that. So uh, far enough away to be a pain if you wanted to go home. And uh, sure enough, one summer it was quite late, probably 10 o'clock or so, but it was still light out. And I was just freaking out for whatever reason. I just didn't want to be there. I wanted to go home. And, you know, my dad whipped me and everything else told me go to bed and I just didn't want to be there. And so in the end, I called my mom and and uh, and went home and they put it down to homesickness and all of that kind of stuff. But it was it that was the funny thing. I didn't get this way at other places. It was just this this place where my dad lived. And sure enough, I found out not too long after that, uh, probably six months or a year later, that there'd been a guy who'd lived there before and he he shot himself in the kitchen and there was still the hole in the wall um, where the guy shot himself because my dad had a friend who was a sheriff's officer and he was he was there talking to my dad and my dad was telling him how I'd freaked out about being there and everything else and and this guy said to my dad he goes well it's probably Jim or I can't think of the guy's name but he said a, a first name and my dad said, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, well, he, he killed himself in your kitchen. And my dad said, oh, no. He goes, yeah. He goes, why do you think your rent's so cheap? He goes, there's the there's the hole. He goes, I know because I responded to the call. I came here after he'd shot himself. Him and his wife were estranged and shot himself in the kitchen. Now, at the, at that house, I, I never, like, I, I can't ever remember seeing anything or encountering anything, but I always had kind of an ominous feeling. I always felt like I wasn't wasn't alone, and I always felt like there was someone around, kind of watching. 
Um, and I definitely like at night, man, there was no way I wanted to be by myself outside or anything like that. Uh, I always wanted to make sure there was someone around. Really? I get those feelings sometimes. Like, it's like someone's like right behind me. Feeling. Yeah. Uh, it, look, unnerving. growing up, I, I'd never heard of these terms, but now from what I hear from other people, um, I'd guess that I'm an empath because I, yeah. I do, I, I get these gut feelings and that around different places. And I, I've just learned now, if I get that feeling, I'll pay attention to it. I, I at least am very careful about my surroundings. Yeah. Like, I think like everybody's a little bit of an empath, a little bit, like really like places like really bad mojo, like, like anybody can pick up on, but there's some places that are a little more subtle. So, uh, subtle yeah subtle. Uh, someone more sensitive could pick up on and... no i i fully agree with that um i've i've known people who have worked in different places and they'll be really kind of they'll they'll pressure their boss or whatever and they'll say hey what happened here what was here before this restaurant or whatever i was like we're talking about yeah it's it, they'll they'll just like you say they'll have that feeling they'll kind of have that vibe of what's going on why why do i get this vibe and so they'll ask questions and then they'll find out it'll be something like that uh there was a armed robbery there somebody got shot or uh somebody was even even things like you know assaulted and died later but it seems to leave that definitely seems to leave that negative energy vibe that they pick up on later but like the equipment to like measure it properly yeah it's 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 something I, i've been asked a few times and people will say oh do you uh do you go out and investigate in that no i I've, i never have and it, it's i've got it's not that i've got anything against it it's just not been i'm not that type of person that most of the time if, if it's somewhere with a negative vibe i don't want to be there so first yeah. off <laughs> i i don't want to experience it but but secondly it's just i'm much more the person that likes to to learn things by researching and, and reading through books and that now don't get me wrong if there was an interesting place like just up the road I, i'd go and check it out by all means but i'm that's it I'm, I'm not so much the field investigator but again there are things here that I, I want to go out, I want to go and check out, and I want to explore because there's not a lot of us in our small country doing this, not nearly as many as in the U.S., obviously. Yeah. Or some places in New Zealand that you'd like to check out? Well, around here, uh, Auckland's the, the biggest city in New Zealand by far, so a third of the population lives here. Mm-hmm. So, we've we, yeah, we've got about 1.6 million here out of 5 million in the whole country. Uh, not too far from here, actually, about probably an hour and a half drive, there's an, an area uh, with a forest in that, and there are stories going back to the late 1800s and early 1900s of kind of the New Zealand's version of Bigfoot being there. Uh, I've, I've been there, I've driven through, but I've not spent a lot of time kind of going through and, and, and looking through. Uh, there are some other really fascinating things here. There's a lake in central North Island that's probably about four hours drive away from here. And they had a major eruption in the 1800s that kind of buried everything. But uh, there were stories about ghost canoes being seen there and all kinds of other interesting things, kind of uh, almost like a, a witch doctor type vibe, uh, black magic being used and, and those sorts of things. 
and anything history related I, i've always been fascinated with history so i've i've gone to a lot of the museums and that uh as far as like i, I know there are haunted houses and that here you know uh different different uh, buildings that i just haven't got a chance to go to but i will uh, there's a ghost tour apparently in in auckland which i mean it's it's a decent sized city but i'm probably only 20 miles away from where they do it and i'd like to get there and, and go and do that just to experience it yeah Okay, like lake eruption is crazy. Sorry, what was that? I was like thinking about like the lake, like the saying the lake erupted, a volcano erupted in the lake. Yeah, so it's it's actually there. It's a story that um, I'd never. Don't get me wrong; it's not that I'd ever heard of it uh, before I came here. But even people, I, I know a guy who's been doing this kind of stuff for like over 50 years and he's written like 200 books and when i mentioned it he'd never heard of it he was actually fast he's like wow i never heard of that so there used to be these terraces here and they were basically silica deposits think of kind of like rice paddies where you've got the different tiers yeah. like the terrace farming but natural and there were these different layers of kind of hot pools and and uh cold water pools and back in the 1800s when you didn't have the technology we have now it was called the either the eighth or the ninth wonder of the world and people came here all the way from england to go in these baths these mineral baths and bathe and there's famous paintings of it and that and it was called the pink and white terraces and basically there was this eruption at this volcano on the lake that basically buried all of it underwater but there were all kinds of these things that so what i'm saying is i couldn't go there now and see these terraces but that whole area still there's supposed to be a really kind of um foreboding vibe in that area because it's considered to be sacred land and yeah it, it i will cover it on one episode i've just got to get <laughs> got to get around to it i've got like hundreds of of different things on on backlog for the show but i i definitely want to do at least one story about something in new zealand this year I did a UFO case uh, last season, uh, but this season I'd like to do something different that probably no one's ever heard of. And like this would, would be the, the perfect example. Lake Tarawera, I think it's like T-A-R-A-W-E-R-E-A, -E -E something like that. Um, but yeah, it is it is fascinating. And like I say, very few people outside of New Zealand have heard of it. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and that part of North Island, so we've got two major islands. We've got North Island and South Island. So when you think of the mountains, like where they filmed Lord of the Rings and that, that's South Island. And then up here in North Island, we've got some cold spots, but it's not nearly as kind of mountainous. But um, yeah, this, this part, the central plateau where this lake is, there's some other massive lakes and it is gorgeous over there. Like you say, it's, it's like something out of a, out of a, I don't know, out of one of those fantasy stories like Lord of the Rings or um, it's just, it is gorgeous. It's amazing over there. What's well, well, like, it's called like the Yowie over there? The Bigfoot? So the Yowie's in Australia. Australia? Um, yeah. And a lot of, like, again, a lot of these things, man, I only know because I live here, but a lot of people think that we're very close to Australia. You're pretty but, far away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a friend who knows the world map pretty well, but he thought, oh, I thought you guys are like 200 miles away. I'm like, no, man, we're like easy 1500 miles just to hit the coast. And then if you want to go to a major city, it's like 1800 miles from here. So, uh, but, but yeah, they've got the Yowie in Australia and 
again, I mean, there have been Aborigines there for 60,000 years and they've been talking about things like this. And, and yet again, it just gets kind of thrown out. They just, the debunkers just say, oh, well, they don't know what they saw. It's like, so you tell us how every culture is important and how we should honor these indigenous cultures out of one side of your mouth and out of the other side of your mouth, you just say, well, they made it all up. It's like, well, <laughs> it can't all be that way. It's like the, the pictographs in North America of all these different things. And yet they say, oh, it's just imaginations. Mm. I don't know. I get pretty hard to like draw something on like on a piece of paper. Like, it's like this small. But to do it like way out, like how big, like miles wide to do it, it's like huge. They do it pretty fucking good. I don't know how to do it. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I did a story a little while back. It's kind of, because I, I do a news segment um, on every normal episode where I'll cover kind of news in these areas. Yeah. And they've just found these rock paintings in Indonesia that oh. are like 47,000 years old. That's cool. And, yeah, and when and when I read about that, I was thinking, I'm I'm sure they were saying there were older ones in Australia, but the oldest ones they found in Australia are at least forty thousand years old. But still, I mean, anything going back that far, like you say, and and just mm -hmm. these massive paintings on the cave walls and these carvings, and it's like we think about our modern society and how much of our modern, like if you know, just everything ended now, how much of our society would be left in forty thousand years? Not a whole lot. Like four thousand years, if you don't think about that, it ain't that long ago, but I think like the pyramids were like what five thousand years ago. Yeah, about five thousand years, like you say, um, and and that's what they've said. I I think uh, there was that show on Discovery for a long time uh, after after humans or something like that, and they yeah. basically say fifty years, hundred years, and they basically said in a few thousand years, the only thing that would be left from our current era would be like. Um, uh, Stone Mountain in Georgia, Mount Rushmore, kind of those massive carvings. And that's what they said. The irony of it all is things like the pyramid would outlast almost everything that we've made now. And those were made 5,000 years ago. Yeah. Pyramids. Uh, people always say, like, it goes aliens, pyramids, but like, um, I mean, like, I don't know. They're very, pretty, pretty bored. I had nothing better to do to build shit. I don't know. Well, my, my biggest issue with the with the pyramid story is is I I very rarely uh, I, I keep an open mind and and that's how I do the the program. It's like I present the evidence or information that I've found, yeah. and I've said here's the information, here's some leading theories. At the end of the day, you as the audience, you make up your own mind. But the the issue that I personally have with the pyramids is that I don't necessarily think it was aliens. But I have a hard time believing it was just guys with some ropes pulling things up a ramp. And the reason is, number one, if it was slaves, where did uh, you get the twenty or 30,000 slaves? Um, yeah, there's, there's much, not much evidence for slavery, slaves. Yeah. And if, if it was the people just working like Egyptians themselves, I believe off the top of my head, the, the story is to build the Great Pyramid in 20 years, which is what mainstream archaeology tells us. You had to lay one stone every six seconds, pretty close mm -hmm. to that. Uh, pretty what? much twenty four seven. Yeah. So I don't know how you do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the to me, the simple logistics of it says, if yeah. all of all of your people are laying these stones, who's growing the food to feed them? Yeah. 
So as soon as you do that, let's say you take half the year and you say, well, you have to grow crops. That 20 years is now 40 years at least. So maybe like you're saying that um, it took them longer than 20 years to make to build it. Uh, I've got no doubt it took more than 20 years. Um, I shouldn't say no doubt because I don't have a time machine, but yeah. to me, I, I'm pretty confident that it took more than 20 years. And I also believe firmly that there was more involved than just simple physics of dragging things with ropes or on rollers. Um, I believe there was something else there. Now, again, it doesn't mean that it was aliens and UFOs, yeah. but I definitely believe when you go around the world and you look at a lot of these megalithic sites like Puma Punku in South uh, America, you look at some of the sites in Europe, in the UK, and even in Asia, I've got no doubt in my mind that our ancient ancestors were doing things a lot differently than what mainstream archaeology says. Now, there's no doubt there were sites that were just built with general labor. I've got no problem with that. But some of these massive sites, so episode one, or sorry, season one, the final episode of the season I did was about Nan Madol in Micronesia. Now, again, th this site was built out of basalt stones that are massive, like up to 60 tons plus. And mainstream archaeology wants to tell you and I that they basically took some canoes from one side of the island and just sailed these stones around to the other side of the island and carried them like in the water in the canoes. For one second, I'll just say, okay, fine. Now, how did they get them out of the water onto the land and, and, and erected? Like, even if you say, okay, we'll, we'll accept that. And they've done tests with canoes trying to do this. And they basically showed that any stone larger than one ton would sink the canoes. Yeah. So, yeah. So again, you know, we're not talking, okay, these stones are 1500 pounds and you could carry a thousand. We're not talking about a slim, you know, okay, well maybe they could have done it. And again, it's, it's all over the world. It's all over South America, these massive sites. You've got sites that where the stones almost look like they were literally poured into place like concrete versus being chiseled. Uh, especially in South America, there's a lot of sites there that these stones almost look like they were vitrified or melted and then poured into place. And again, I, I know that mainstream archaeology has their explanations, and I'm not the person who thinks that mainstream archaeology is wrong about everything. But I am the person that thinks that the general model is that we kind of know, let's say, 90% of everything that happened. I feel it's much more the other way. I feel that we know very little, especially when you start getting back to times like you talked about, like the pyramids. You go back beyond 2,000 years in our history, and there's very little that we know. There's a few things that were written by different people, but obviously things made out of papyrus and things made out of paper and that were going to disintegrate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and and uh, again, this, this, is, this is my major problem with a lot of this. If it's something that fits the narrative, okay, yeah, that's fine. We agree with that. But if it's something like um, you go back to some of the Egyptian texts or the Mesopotamian texts where they're saying that people lived a thousand years, I don't know if they did or they didn't. But all I'm saying is if you're going to accept this as science and it came from the same source as this, either they're both wrong or there's a possibility that they're both right. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying they don't keep an open mind on a lot of those things because it doesn't fit the narrative that they want. I agree. I think it, I think they look at things from like ancient 
like architecture and they looked at it like how they would do it now and yeah compared to technology they would have back then like they probably did this way but you know like you're saying they don't really know so well, not, it, it, not really sure about like how the i'm not really sure how like how the environment was in ancient egypt five thousand years ago Either well they they they've said that basically like you hear these stories about these these rollers that they put under the stones yeah basically the only trees that were in the nile valley at that time and they've proven it through like genomic testing and all that and going back and getting soil samples and looking for pollens is basically the date fig which is like the palm tree you see in all the the movies and that there's the oasis and then there's this fig tree and it's really soft wood hmm. so never... how is yeah hmm. and and on top of it this is fruit so you know it would be like cutting down all the apple trees in your orchard yeah. to haul these stones and then it's like okay now what are we going to eat it's it, it just doesn't make sense that that was the way they did it now there was a, a thing done in the 70s like a documentary a japanese film crew went to egypt and they said we're going to replicate how they built the pyramids so they did the whole thing where they floated the stones down the river and everything else and off the top of my head it was either supposed to be like a one one hundredth scale model of the pyramid or something like that so kind of like off the top of my head from memory think of like a two or three story building that's kind of what they were building to represent the pyramids so they they started doing it and they found out basically they couldn't do it they were way behind they weren't getting the stones done so they brought in modern equipment you know they said oh well we'll just finish it they brought in modern equipment like cranes and, and they still couldn't get it done well. And yet people 5,000 years ago that supposedly were just barely out of the hunter-gatherer phase, you know, and chasing antelopes around the plains of Africa, here they built these things that to this day we can't replicate. Now, I won't say right now, maybe if you had all the money in the world and you threw it at it, maybe you could replicate it, no problem. I, I don't really know, but I know in the 80s when I saw this documentary, they basically couldn't, couldn't do it. And Coral Castle in Florida, I did an episode on that. And that was built by one man. No one debates that this guy did it. But again, I mean, to this day, they've they've tried to kind of replicate it with a lot of the modern machinery, and they've struggled. Um, I I'm a bit torn about the whole ancient aliens, and and when I say the ancient aliens, is when everybody runs to say aliens built the pyramids, or aliens mm -hmm. built this, or aliens built that. It's not that I'm saying personally, it's not that I don't believe we've ever had visitation, but I do agree that humans as, as a species, you know, we're extremely ingenuitive and there's lots of things that we do that I don't want to be discounted just by people running and saying that aliens did it. But what I, what I personally think is I think they had a different way of doing things than we did. It, it's kind of that whole um, where they, they give you those problems, like they, they, they take a work group and they say, okay, uh, carry this egg from here to here. And one group will think of this really innovative way that, that I wouldn't think of, or another person wouldn't think of. And then you, then once you've seen it, you go, oh, that makes sense. But you never got the idea. They got the idea. So I think there were things like that, that happened more than necessarily. Like you say, I, there may be things in this world that were built by other uh species or uh, I, I don't really know but i don't i definitely think that most of it it's it's just we don't know how they did it still but i don't necessarily think it was aliens for everything yeah i think it's a uh, same like aliens for everything it's like a 
kind of lazy where you just say how something's done like you say it's it's an easy trope because it's like well if aliens we can't explain it. it therefore aliens yeah we might as well just say therefore uh harry potter you know yeah. black magic did it all is there um is there pretty good evidence that they that they moved the stones to the pyramid the, the stones were moved so they, I, I do know that there are sites in egypt that they've proven are, are quarries yeah where they mined a lot of that stone from now most of that came from up up the nile further mm -hmm. towards um sudan uh so i would say most of the stone was definitely moved and i would say that most of that stone was moved down the nile and i've as far as i'm concerned i've got no problem with with that happening but again laying that one stone every six, six seconds. seconds or whatever it was uh, so I, again, you know, we all know you go out to a lake or a river or the ocean at night, it, it's dark and it's dangerous. So yeah. you, were you telling me that this whole time, all night, you know, you've got these massive barges with stones coming down the Nile with crocodiles and everything else and they can't see or else they're just holding their little oil lamp. Yeah. Um, again, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my problem with it. It's either that they had to stockpile everything. And again, there's no evidence that there was a massive stockpile of stones. If you were going to stockpile even a third of the stones, wouldn't you just build that third of the pyramid? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily stockpile the stones to then move them and, and build it in another space. Um, to me, it's more like if you're going to do that, you might as well just move them one by one. There's there's no real advantage of moving half of the pyramid at once, you know, over over time and building it up. You might as well just be building the pyramid. Sense. I've heard about like um the rainfall on the Sphinx, the erosion on the Sphinx being weird because of like so much rainfall erosion on it. It's like it doesn't really match up with the current date for the archaeologists have for it. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of who it was off the top of my head that first kind of postulated that, but it was kind of in the 90s, and I I can think of the guy but i just can't remember his name off the top of my head and that's like like you're saying that's exactly what he said he basically said that the body of the sphinx was eroded at a rate that showed that it couldn't be only five thousand years old or six thousand years old he was basically saying it was more like 12 to fourteen thousand years old now the reason why that gets people so excited is uh, i don't know how much you know about atlantis but basically Plato said that Atlantis would have existed around 12 to 14,000 years ago. So this would tie in very much with Atlantean civilization, the time frame. Now, what this guy said was that he believed that the face of the Sphinx was carved at a later date. Either originally it had a different face of whoever, maybe it was another ruler or maybe it was another animal. And then they basically came along. Uh, it's kind of like the whole graffiti on the wall thing. It's like somebody else built this wall and I'll come in and write my name. Same kind of idea was that whoever the pharaoh was come, came along and carved the face to represent him. Now, I do know uh, the story that I heard about what happened with the, the pharaoh that supposedly create, you know, carved the sphinx. Even he said that when he was the pharaoh, the sphinx was old. And that no one could remember how old the Sphinx was. Like, it had just always been there. 
And he said that he had a dream that the Sphinx said to him, because back then, as you can imagine, sand blowing around, basically the Sphinx was covered up to its shoulders in sand. And he had a dream that the Sphinx talked to him and it said, if you honor me and you come and uncover me and bring me basically so that everyone can see me, then I'll make you the greatest pharaoh ever or whatever. Now, I'm sure I could look up that story, but I've always found that fascinating that even even that man that's attributed to say that he carved the Sphinx says, I didn't carve the Sphinx. And again, there's so many like Nan Madol, like I was talking about with these basalt stones. What makes me laugh is that general science will say, well, if you say it was an outside group or you say it was aliens or whoever, you're basically being racist because you're saying that the people who were there didn't carve it, didn't build the city. But the people who were there now and the people who were there a hundred years ago, guess what? When explorers came, they said, we didn't make it. They, they're not saying we made it. So what is, you know, to me, what is wrong with looking into other explanations no one is trying to take credit away from them. They said, we didn't make this. Uh, even in the pyramids, I mean, they've only found very few uh, graffiti marks in that within the pyramid. You look at all the temples in Egypt, right? They've all got carvings of the pharaohs. They got carvings saying, I carved this. I, I laid it out at this time. I ordered these guys to do it. I mean, the, the Egyptians were very meticulous in their record keeping. But with the pyramids, you don't have that. And this is one of the things as well that's always kind of mystified and stumped people because they've said, well, why are all these other things and things older than the pyramid have got all of these records about them and carvings and explaining who built it and when, but with the pyramids, there's nothing like that. And when the first, when the Arabs uh, went there in about 670 AD, they basically were heating up the stones on the pyramid and then they'd pour cold water on it to try and break the stones to get inside because there was no entrance. It wasn't like there's a hallway that says, you know, enter here, go in here and you can go in the pyramid. And that's how they basically first entered the pyramid was that they were heating the stones up with fire and then pouring cold water on it to crack these stones to try and find an entryway somewhere because it was basically just like a hill of stones. There was no obvious way to get into it. He said like 12, did I say it was about 12,000 years old, I think, or I think it was? Yeah, yeah. The, the weathering explanation, like you say, it, it said that, that that stone that the Sphinx is carved out of was like twelve to 14,000 years old. Whoa. That's right. That's, it's crazy because like I did like a little Google search and like the last ice age was like 11,000 years ago. Yeah, um, they definitely, they, they know that the Sahara, as we know it, this massive you know, desert, 10,000 years ago, the, the Sahara was basically a grassland. It was like the Midwest in the U.S. It was just one big uh, grassland, one one big field. Now, not in Egyptian times, not 5,000 years ago, but you go back 10 and 12,000 years ago, and it was a very green, very fertile place. And they found through the fossil record and everything else that, it was basically this big green lush area and then it slowly started drying out so there's all kinds of rock paintings and carvings and things throughout north africa and central africa of these nomads from the past that basically drew things like lakes with fish in them and uh you know hunting deer and obviously there's nothing like that there now and there's nothing like that in living memory like the nomads and that that are there, none of their ancestors remember that area being green because it was so far, so far ago. So 
to me if the sphinx was carved back then like like there's the possibility then that would tie in very much with all of this area was green and you would have had much more of the population and the ability to do it and for argument's sake let's say the pyramids are older than 5000 years and if we took that back to that time maybe you had a much larger workforce that that could have done something like that back then because you had a massive food basket basically have you heard about the younger Dryas uh, impact yeah. hypothesis? Yeah. So, uh, off the top of my head, uh, the th one of the things that's always fascinated me and and a lot of people is the the flood mythos. That you, obviously in the Bible you've got the story of Noah and the Ark, but if you go around the world, off Noah. the top of my head, it's something like two hundred different groups have all got a flood myth. And I can understand if you're living on an island. So let's say you live on um, in the Bahamas. Obviously, at some point, you would have had a, a tidal wave or maybe even a tsunami wave. I could get you having a myth about this flood having buried your whole island. But when you've got American Indians and Native Americans in the Midwest that are thousands of miles from the ocean, what right of, you know what I'm saying, like yeah. from a rational what why would they have this flood myth that the entire world was inundated by the ocean and when you start talking about things like that like the younger dryas like the end of the last ice age there's also a theory about a uh wall like a mud bank in the black sea breaking and flooding the whole mediterranean basin with with water off the top of my head that was about six or eight thousand years ago that's that's another theory to explain this kind of flood mythos but yeah, um, around that whole ice age, there's a lot of areas of the world that were, I, I think they said that in the ice age, the, the water levels were 200 feet lower than they are now. And you go off the coastlines of a lot of places uh, and you find these underwater cities that were above water. And again, they, they would have been above water about 12,000 years ago in and around the, uh, the last ice age, as you say. Um, I'm very curious was like why uh, there isn't like a great apes in North America seems like every other continent has like some sort of like either new world monkey or old, like Africa has gorillas or South America has like little monkeys I think European Russia has like those uh, ones that hang out in the hot springs and stuff Asia. yeah but North America is like weird. It doesn't like have like anything. Well, and and again, well, right now, like, I think it's more like geological. It's like, I think yeah, it's, yeah. G Gigantopithecus. Yeah, that was like eight nine feet tall and like the largest primate ever. Um, and and the one thing that I look, I, I get that the world is a different place today because we've got satellite imaging. We've got drones, we've got people who go out and explore. And I'm not saying that there's like huge tracts of the world that aren't explored, but people forget that 150 years ago, we didn't know about gorillas. Yeah. So like the gorillas in Africa, yeah, exactly. They they didn't exist. And That's the first long, guy who went- Like 150 years ago, it's not very long ago, like in the universe. It's like that. that. that, that it's, that's it it's a wink of an eye you know and uh and the first guy who went and discovered them he basically he 100 he's like this is a myth it's superstitious locals there's no such thing 
and I'll be damned he found him. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And you're kind of like a cultural icon now. Oh, everyone knows here's like uh, Silverback. They like know all their how eating habits and what to eat. Like we're like very closely related. Now we're like very closely related to them. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy that there are so many things like that. Um, I was trying to think of what else it was. Oh, uh, Tasmanian devil in South America. Yeah, Tasmanian devil, Tasmanian uh, tiger, tiger uh, the yeah. thylacine. Yep, and even yeah. even in when when you look at archaeological things, you know, when people say, "Well, this is impossible," well, it was only a hundred, a little over a hundred years ago that Machu Picchu was discovered in South America, mm-hmm. and and up until that time, they basically said like the 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 archaeological model was that the Spaniards came. They wiped out the Incans and that was it. But the reality is, is that there was like a 50 year civil war with the Incans fighting back against the Spaniards and they retreated into these cities in the mountains. And the, the, the crazy thing is again, and uh, I, I, I'm a bit mixed about things. So, you know, I've got no problem with calling out kind of like uh, appropriation and all that where it comes, but at the same time, I always tell people you've got you it's hard to judge someone uh, uh, from the time they were in but the guy who di- who discovered Machu Picchu basically all of the natives knew it was there and they told him there's this city here and he went there and he found it and he's like I discovered it oh. and yet they 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 knew it was there all this time because their ancestors had built it and um yeah he he basically went to South America to become famous and he wanted to find something he wanted to be like Schliemann who found Troy in Turkey and again, um, the guy who found Troy, he didn't actually find it. It was the guy who owned the land, and he was desperate to have someone excavate it. So he invited him there. To, he knew he in his mind he was sure it was the city of Troy, and he invited Schliemann, who was a famous archaeologist already. He said, "If you come here, I'll let you run it. You can get all the glory. I just want someone to excavate it." And but again, it's it's funny how history tells us one thing and then you find out later it's like oh wait i didn't know that and that and that's happened to me a lot of times man i'll find out later on the story that we heard in school where the story in the textbooks only gave you like one fifth of what really happened you know kind of like the whole columbus discovered america thing oh yeah he's a not very nice but uh, he's a very different from what i remember, remember from school well, um, I look, I was one of those, like I said, I've always been fascinated by history. So uh, I read on all of those guys. I read on Columbus. I read on Cortez. I read on Pizarro. I read on Ponce de Leon, all of them. I read biographies about them. But again, it was a very um, almost propaganda, like the way it was presented. And, and again, I understand why, because Spaniards are writing accounts about other Spaniards. <laughs> that what do you expect they, they they're gonna show one side of what happened but again uh me personally do i think columbus was this super villain no but do i think that he was the the nicest guy ever and he had nothing but the best no and uh yeah i i've had i've not had a lot you know i'm not look I, i'm not gonna say that i've had people like attacking me and going after me hardcore but i have had a p- few people say to me Oh, well, you don't know about this or that because you're white. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You see, I'm actually a quarter Native American, so I do have that. And I have a vested interest in just wanting to know what happened, whatever it is. I mean, just because I learned in school that Columbus discovered things doesn't mean that I haven't changed my mind 
over the years as we've discovered more. And again, even Columbus now personally, after the intervening years, I'm sure he was told that there's land there and he didn't think that it was India or the East, you know, Japan. I'm convinced that he had insider knowledge that there was land past Greenland and that he was basically following maps that told him to go there. And there's all kinds of information that has come out showing that uh, obviously we, we know that the Vikings went to North America and there's other proofs that other groups probably went there. And I think that by the time it's all said and done, hopefully before I die, but I, I definitely think they're going to have to roll that clock back on when there was interaction between North America and Europe. I mean, some of the really fascinating things, like you're talking about the pyramids, they found um, they found cocaine in Egyptian what? tombs and in mummies. Yeah. And they found tobacco in Egyptian tombs and mummies. And guess what? Both of those are indigenous to North America. They don't, there's the coca doesn't grow in Europe or Asia and tobacco doesn't grow in Europe or Asia. So either mm. it just happened to float 3000 miles across the ocean and somehow get planted and turn up in Egypt or there was trade going on. There was at least some kind of, I'm not saying people were going there for a weekend, but there had to have been some kind of cross pollination of stuff. And again, it's, it's the same here. I mean, uh, sweet potatoes, which here in New Zealand they call kumara. Well, sweet potatoes come from South America. So again, if we believe the the, the mainstream theory that uh, people came from Asia and the Philippines and down through Southeast Asia and then eventually to Australia and New Zealand, where did the sweet potatoes come from? Because they're in, sweet potatoes and potatoes and pumpkins or squash. They all are native to South America. So how did they get here? You know what I'm saying? Crazy. Like I'm like I think I'm like a pizza in like Italy, but like tomatoes come from like South America. So Yep. Yep. That that that's right. Tomatoes come from South and Central America. Corn, you know, maize, that never existed. Mm -hmm. And uh same with potatoes. Uh, when Sir Walter Raleigh turned up to uh, the UK, to England, with potatoes, they kind of said, oh, well, what's this? And then it ended up, obviously, you know, you know about the Irish potato famine. Yeah. That was because more than half of the population of Ireland, that was their subsistence food. And once you can't grow that, people are going to die because the landlords weren't going to give them their food. They were sending it back to England. So it's like, oh, well, you guys, um, yeah, I guess you're out of luck. I think about an Irish family and like isn't like iron like surrounded by water you know, like this fish or something yeah so uh, basically I mean, Ireland I mean, the fishing ahead. isn't very good there that's why oh uh, oh no they, they, they fished um, but the problem was it's hard to feed a population of off the top of my head I think it was about 12 million people with yeah, fishing good. alone yeah and and that was it. The the reason why they so they grew things like wheat and barley and obviously they 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 raised cattle and all of that. But the problem was all that land was owned by almost all the land in Ireland was owned by English nobility. So they were sending gotcha. all of that food back back to England, you know, kind of as a tribute. Um, because they're saying, Well, we own the land, and they expected the Irish, the serfs to live off of potatoes. And when the potatoes basically were dying off they said well you're not taking my food 
you know, I'm, no, no, that's going back to England. And until the government intervened, I think in the end it was something like 4 million. It was like a third of the population died. They starved to death. That, man, really messed up. Oh, that's as 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 great as humanity is, man. Humanity is definitely a double-edged sword. I mean, we've we've done some great things as a species, but we all know there's there's been lots of things. I mean, you've got everyone from uh, you know Soviet Russia and Stalin either starving or executing like between thirty and fifty million of his own people. You've got what happened in Red China under Mao. Basically, Mao Zedong he decided that he was going to make China like this technological country. And he basically ordered all of the people in the villages to melt down their rice pots and all of that because he said, well, we're going to start making our own steel and iron and that. And he took the people off the land, similar to what we were talking about, Egypt and the pyramids. He took the people off the lands and had them doing all kinds of construction products, projects, and then they weren't growing rice. So then when there was no rice crop, people died, like millions of people. And um, I think that off the top of my head, that was about either 57 or 59. So, so again, I mean, it's it's the thing about humanity. We've, we've got this massive double-edged sword that we're capable of so much and we've done so many amazing things. But at the same time, I mean, we've, we've done so much to our own people, to our own, you know, to our own species um, that, yeah, it's just that complexity of humanity, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like love, hate, even as a, as a human, you know, you look at what some of the things that we've done to each other. And on the other side, you look at some of the amazingly compassionate things that people do. If you take people at our basic level before we're taught any certain system or any structure, they've done these studies with, with school kids, like before they go to school, four or five years old, and they've taken children from Europe, children from Asia, children from Africa. So what I'm saying is no certain ethnicity, just children all over the world. And if you have a candy bar and you give a candy bar to one child and there's another child next to them, the child's instinct is to break that candy bar in half and share it with the other child because they want both to be happy. But then when people go to school and everything else, our instincts are obviously shifted in different ways. And we're, we're taught that you need to go and earn money and you need to look after yourself first. But our basic instinct as humans from our youngest age is to share and to look after others. If you see someone hurt, you take a child, they'll always look after another child. It's, it's, it's in our DNA. It's, it's in our bloodline. It's only through conditioning that those kind of things get taken away from us, you know? And uh, it's no certain group or any certain government I'm pointing out. I'm just saying, in general, humans, I do believe on an intrinsic level, we're born with, uh, you know, good nature in us. I think everything else is learned. Yeah. I think it's um, some people are taught like a family mentality. Others taught more of a, not a family, but... um, Uh, uh, everything from uh, uh, the capitalist structure of, you know, accrue the most that you can to just like you say, looking out for number one. And to to me, like I, like me personally, I kind of fall in between. It's like, yes, I'll look after other people, but it's like if, if I've got to decide between feeding my family, like you say, I'll feed my family first. And then if there's anything else, then, then I'll happily share. But the, the thing like our, the real kind of 
capitalist structure, or I'm trying to think of another word for it, kind of the corporate mentality yeah. is really only like 100 to 150 years old. Even if you go back to the 1800s, most people, you had to know your neighbor because you never knew when your crops might be spoiled or you know, one of your animals might be diseased and you didn't have any food to eat. So the only way you could survive is off the charity of your neighbors and others in your community. And nowadays with money and every, you know, we've, we've got a store of wealth and money so we can always go and buy food. People don't necessarily have to live that life. Yeah. Very, I'm very fortunate to live like now. Uh, like I guess order food and like I'll just show up at my door. I'm, now I don't have to go out and shop no more. It's crazy. I mean, I still do. I still go shopping because like, forever charges like me like yeah but no no i i hear you man it's 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 pretty insane i mean even when i was younger even go back 20 years if you would have told me that now like you say oh you have uber eats and you'll have anything delivered you want i would have thought yeah right yeah and 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 now like you say it's just grab your phone click on an app yeah you pay a little bit of a handling fee but like you say um, especially people I don't know. I, again, I've been gone quite a while, but people in New York and that in LA, I can imagine they probably have 80 to 100 choices basically on their phone yeah. and they just click it. And there's so much competition that uh, if you, if they shop around, you know, a lot of them, they'll probably get really cheap delivery or nearly free delivery anyway. And uh, I mean, again, technology is great, but to me, it's like there are things like my, like my generation, for example, will be the last generation that probably knows how to like read a, a paper map, like you unfold like a, yeah. a map. I mean, there'll be some people who still learn, but I mean, as a generation, we had to learn how to read maps and know what the different top, top uh, uh, the different features meant. Like you know, a pyramid was a mountain, or you know, the wavy lines meant a river, and again that that's like something that will basically die out after my generation dies out and there'll be lots of other people that will never know how to uh, make bread at home or or make uh, how to grow crops uh, because yeah the internet's great don't get me wrong but if the power ever goes out you know like in a large swath yeah um, you better hope you've got something written down or you've got a good memory <laughs> yeah uh, I was seeing this TikTok the other day or yesterday last night Whatever, but um they're saying like the tit like uh, the electrical structure in america is so bad if like six uh, major power, uh, electrical places went out the whole entire um country would be out of power for like 18 months well um that this is what um i again like i say all these things i'll i'll listen to any any theory out there so even a theory that I may hear and I'll go, this is complete, like a waste of time. I'll listen to it. I'll, I'll hear it out. I'll try and understand where people are coming from. It doesn't mean I necessarily agree with everything, but what you're talking about this, there's a lot of people and they're not wrong. They felt for a long time that the U S is very, very much, um, vulnerable to an EMP. Yeah, yeah. EMP or a solar flare, because the problem is that we don't, uh, well, I, like, I say you, we, because I think the, they're saying like that's the roads and electrical systems like over 50 years old needs to be like repaired like now like like actually, yeah. like 10 years ago even better but yeah. well 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 the the problem is that 
there's a very limited amount of spare parts for yeah. things like um, transformers and uh, all that kind of stuff for the electrical grid, like you say. And all of it, like our modern warehousing and logistics, um, and it's something I did for 10 years, so I've got a really good idea of it. Everything now is run off of what they call uh, uh, JIT, which is just in time. So like your supermarket, for example, they run lean. They want to have as little inventory as they can because obviously inventory equals money. And it's the same with things like that. Electrical stuff, you're not going to like generally they're not going to store 20 capacitors just to have them. Now, back when you had things like electrical companies that were owned by the government, uh, be it state government or then they ran a different model. Same with the military. They just they'd say, OK, well, it's going to cost us uh, $10,000 to make 20 of these. Uh, whereas if we make uh, five a year, it's going to, so we'll just make 20 at once and we'll store them. But now when you've got private companies involved, like you say, they're running on margins, they're running everything as lean as they can. They've got to answer to the shareholders. And I mean, they're, they're not going to invest the money in it unless they're forced to. And Texas is the perfect example. What's gone on with the winter storm there, because all of those uh, power factories and that and the grid, it's not winterized because it's like basically a once in a lifetime event for them to get this massive cold storm. And the problem is when it does happen, there's nothing you can do because once the storms hit, I mean, yes, you can fix it now going forward. But again, what they'll do is they'll say like any private company is going to say, this is a one in a hundred year event. Why should we be forced to spend $5 billion or whatever to winterize everything when it's not going to happen again? And then when it happens in 20 years again, it's too late. <laughs> Uh, you work you used to work in warehousing? Yeah, I'm aware that's what I bought that's my job for now. Okay. Yeah, no, um boring. Uh, I've boring story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, it, it is. It, it it's it's boring and it's a thankless task. Uh, I've worked uh I spent twenty years in the food industry and then I've also like I say warehousing and logistics and distribution. And it's a thankless task, man, because when stuff gets delivered on time 99.5% of the time no one pats you on the back and when that 0.5 happens you're the biggest you know you're the biggest a-hole ever that you screwed this up and it's all your fault and uh, I used to go through it every year here man like especially when we'd have storms and we've got like a, we've got a channel between the two islands and when it's high winds and high seas they can't sail so nothing goes across and then and I I tell people every year this is why I send you emails they'd go why didn't you tell me this wasn't going I like I've been sending you emails for the last 3 days saying they've got gale winds and nothing can sail oh oh but they haven't even read the emails you know what I mean they just yeah. come and would attack me and it's like I've been keeping you as updated as I can that's up to the minute oh okay well when's it going to get there when's the wind going to stop you know I, I I can't help it <laughs> you can't take a rowboat across Like, uh, because of the snow recently here in the U.S. Like, we're behind. We're so behind right now. Like, trucks kind of can't come in. They bring in, like, I'm a receiver. And, like, yeah. trucks can't come in. So, it takes a while for us to put stuff up. They put in the picket. Put in the ship it out and pack it out and send it back out. Cancel Oh yeah, and and again, that it, you you will know well exactly what I'm talking about. That just in time system, yeah. 
you get stuff like this, you get a major storm and see, this is again, and again, I don't necessarily go. I, I think it's, it's, I, I've always believed in that old saying, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. So when I talk about things like power grid going down or uh, food shortages, again, I hope it never happens, but I'm well aware, like, and, and you would know that the average supermarkets basically got enough food for three days. Yeah. Because again, that's it's just in time. I, I worked in the supermarket in Southern California and we used to get deliveries, the, the big deliveries twice a week. And then we'd get little deliveries in between. But if one of those deliveries didn't turn up, we were out like, and that's all there was to it. Until the next delivery came, it, people can be as pissed off as they want, but you don't have it. It's like go and try another store. That's about all you can tell them. I can't just work here. I'm sorry. Um, what do you want me to do? I can't just magic them up these apples into the my apples, sir. Can't bring apples out from there. Oh yeah. Nah, and and um, we used to go through that all the time, man. Like if there was a major storm, uh, like fish, you know, there'd be a major storm in the Pacific coast and the, the fishing trawlers couldn't go out. So they didn't catch fish. And then you'd have people in there screaming at you because it was in the flyer. It's like, okay, well this is on. It's like, I can't help it. I can give you a, I can give you a rain check, but I, I want the fish. It's like, well, the fishing trawlers aren't going out so maybe getting your dinghy and you couldn't say that to him but yeah. that's what you wanted to say man yeah um and, and again there are lots of of people who are more realistic but again people in general we're all acclimatized to things so i'll, I'll give you a good example on a personal level i haven't lived in the snow since 1995 so i've still got a bit of a memory i can drive Uh, hey everybody, uh, Smith Tanner. Just let you know that I'm doing a giveaway. Here's what you gotta do. Go to twitch.tv forward slash g1tanner. First 50 followers will be entered in our raffle for a free piece of merch. Have your choice. I'll put the link down in the description so you can find it easier too. Thanks. in the snow and all that but but man like if we had a major storm like what texas has just gone through I, i'd struggle with it I, i'm not gonna lie i mean i grew up in one of the coldest parts of the u.s but the thing is i've been removed from it so long and it's no different with the people like that you know they they live in the city they're used to getting things at the snap of a finger and yeah once the once it sinks like let's say for example we had something major happen and let's say a fuel refinery went down and they couldn't get that food yeah they would adjust but when they just always at the at the kind of leading edge of that stuff they always think it's just a hiccup and they're going to complain and complain and once they work out that oh well things are different now yeah. then yeah then then <laughs> they'll kind of get the message and it would be the same with me let's say whatever it is climate change global warming whatever let's say all of a sudden my city started getting significant snow all the time i'd go from moaning about it to very quickly going well things are changing and either i adjust or adapt or die you know kind of I was thinking about like saying about people like during storms and stuff like they would buy like a dozen cases of water like 
Like, and everybody's like, complaining, like, no, we're out of water now. Like, maybe if everybody wasn't taking like 10 freaking cases of water at a time, everyone has some water. No, gotta take a whole truckload of water at once. I don't understand. Have you ever seen, um, you've seen King of the Hill, yeah? Yeah. There was this great episode, man. It was basically like a tornado was coming to town yeah. and he needs a fuel filter for his truck. Yeah. So he goes yeah. in, yeah, he goes in to buy one fuel filter and it's like in a pack of 12 and he gets up there in the line and then the other people in the line see him and he doesn't even want the 12. He just wants one, but they yeah. say, no, you have to buy a pack of 12. And so the other people in the line are going, this jackass is hogging the fuel filters. And then the one lady's like, I want a fuel filter. What are they for? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. man. Uh, we, we used to see it in the supermarket all the time. There'd be like a customer might have like five or something in his cart. And maybe he had a barbecue on, like maybe he had yeah. five cases of soda. And you'd see people and they'd see him with the five cases. They'd be like, oh, there must be a reason he's buying it. And then they'd go back. And it's it's just like that kind of lemming mentality. And we get it here, even here, man, the toilet paper during the lockdown. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we went through that BS too. And it's like, so the toilet paper is going to protect you. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah it's great to have it on hand, but yeah. I get that at all. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's and that you know I like I. Again, I get that people are what they feel is doing right, but it's like make sure you got your food and everything else. If you have to, you can go and shower. You know, you do, toilet paper is not going to be the end of the world if you don't have it. But if you don't have clean drinking water, for example, you know that's that's going to be a problem. And if there's no power, the pumps don't run. So, you know, it's again, what do you do? Drink your swimming pool water. <laughs> it's uh, like, take, like water and like the lake and like boil it and take baths that way. Drink that water, drink water out of like a, take water from like the church and drink it. We didn't have like running water when I was growing up. Well, um, I mean, that that's it at the end of the day. It's like, uh, yeah. if we look at our, uh, so for me, for example, I'm really fortunate that I was, my, my family, I was like a late surprise in life. So my grandparents, my grandfather fought in World War I. So what I'm saying is like, I've got a lot more family knowledge of recent history or, or further back in history than a lot of people do. But like those people in the Great Depression, man, they knew how to do everything because they had to, because they had no choice. A third of the country was out of work and it was like either you did it yourself or you didn't get it done. And so they knew how to, they could build a house if they had to build a house. They could, you know, they could pick up sticks and move like when the Dust Bowl hit Oklahoma and that, and they just had to pick up and move. And, you know, that's it, it maybe not living memory now because most people from the Great Depression have passed on. But definitely in my lifetime, there were people that could tell us these things. And that's why I like I'm a big fan. Hey, Internet's great and it's convenient. And I do a lot of things on the Internet, but I do try and keep books around and things like that because uh, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. If anything does happen, at least we've got them. You know, it doesn't matter what EMP strikes. Uh, it's not going to wipe out a book. Yeah. It's like a. That one book, ever seen um, what's it called? The Book of Eli. Um, space. No, I, I know the movie, but I haven't seen it. Oh, well, it's like like this is, as a I don't remember. Oh, but I don't remember. It's really good. It's like a, it's kind of like what you're talking about. Or well, yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, there are some things like so. 
we've got that seed bank, you know, up in the Arctic. I think it's in Norway where they've got that seed bank in case anything happens to humanity. Uh, like if, if our crops got wiped out. And I get that we have we have libraries, okay? But the reality is most libraries nowadays, they don't carry things like how to purify water or how to grow crops or how to, uh, you know, do menial kind of first aid with things you find around the house. And those are the things that, I'm sure somebody, I'm sure the military and I'm sure that the kind of the U S government and that has got it. But those are the things that, you know, I think, Hey, it's great. We got a seed bank, but I think we need that kind of stuff too, because if you don't have it in here, um, we don't have it. That's the reality. If, if something wipes out the kind of the power grid and the internet, you know, we're going to lose it. And, and, uh, I, I, like my mom, man, my mom was a wealth of knowledge growing and planting and foraging and all that. But now my mom's passed on and I only know so much that my mom taught me. And, you know, um, I don't have any kids, but for example, if I had kids growing up and then I passed away, they're going to know less. And so I, I do think that there's no need to me personally, there's no need to panic and, and hide in a bunker and think that tomorrow's going to be the end of the world every day, but there's nothing wrong with being prepared and, and having some things uh, available. You know, I was always taught if like we didn't have a lot of money but it was like if you went to the supermarket and rice was on sale buy an extra bag of rice keep an extra bag of rice around keep extra beans things like that things that won't spoil they're never going to go off i mean i've got i've got extra water around because again uh, we're in the city and if the pumps go out there's no fresh water anywhere close by so there's not even water i could purify i'd have to get rainwater mm -hmm. and that's all well and good but if it's at the wrong time of the year you could go weeks with no rainwater so um, yeah and again i mean you'd be amazed how many people don't even realize that we've all got a, a decent amount of fresh water in our house it's just that they don't want to drink it and that's in the toilet tank you know in the top the cistern tank there's nothing wrong with that water um, but the first thing I'll guarantee you, if the power went out, most people be like, oh, it smells. So I'm going to flush the toilet. It's like, there's your fresh water gone, you know, is <laughs> at least you had five gallons or whatever. And now it's gone. So yeah, man, it's, um, but again, it's, it's just things, uh, we grew up in the country. So, so similar to you, I mean, we lived out in the middle of nowhere and we had the power go out every winter because the wind would blow down yeah. the, the lines and that. And sometimes we'd go a day or two. Sometimes it'd be a week. But we had wood heater and all of that. And we had a wood stove. We had firewood. But people in places like Texas and other, like in Europe, when they had the big winter storms, I think it was four or five years ago, they don't have it. And even if they did, they, if you don't, like, that's it. If you don't have the firewood on hand, you can cut up your furniture. But what's that going to last half a day or a day? Then what or are you going to do? That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it behooves everyone to at least have a basic idea. And it, you know this. I mean, so few people actually know where their food comes from. So few people actually understand the supply chain and how things work. And like in the Midwest, I remember every winter, man, people complaining because lettuce cost whatever it was like back then, two bucks a head. And it's like you do realize that that has to come from California or Arizona or, you know what cheap. I mean? It's coming thousands of miles. Yeah. Pretty cheap. You think about like they have to grow it, all that water, all that labor to harvest it, all to run the tractors, cost for tractors, cost for the trucks, the pavement for truckers, every stop, every single stop on the way, you're paying $2. 
pretty cheap. Yeah, and and, and lettuce, I think, um, from memory, lettuce is one of the most water-intensive crops. I think it takes 10, like, for a weight, it's like 10 gallons. It's like 10 times its weight in water to produce a head of lettuce, something like that. It's And that's what they actually say is, like, it's one of the most wasteful crops that we consume. But again, it's just like, oh, it's a salad and we're used to, you know what I mean? We're used to yeah. eating it and it's been no problem. But again, like when I, when I was young, if you would have told me we'd get to 2020, 2021, and there'd be all kinds of water shortages around the world, I would have laughed because you know, back then nobody talked about water shortages. And back then we didn't have bottled water. And really, I mean, there was Perrier in that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just, it, again, it just goes to show how in 20, 30 years, how much things can change and, and that's the been the big talk with the pentagon and a lot of kind of uh geopolitical people for the last 10 15 20 years is that the next major war is going to be about water and that's why china went into tibet because that's where all of the water sheds of of all the big rivers in asia flow through tibet so if they control the water at its source they can block the water from going downstream and they can keep it and i mean it already happens in africa but uh, it, it, it all I'm saying is it's like it just goes to show how quick things can change. Same with climate change. I mean, when in the 80s and early 90s, nobody was talking about climate change, just the ozone layer. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of pollution in the Amazon. But it, um, it just goes to show how quickly things can change. Yeah. Now, Gore came along back in the, I think it was like 92, 93. He's like, what it was called. He wrote, it's like, uh, it's not looking good for Earth, guys. We need to stop this pollution. It's not good. Like, shut up, Al Gore, and your stupid internet. Man, bear, pig. <laughs> yeah, man, bear, pig. Oh man, uh, it's uh, it, it's just one of those things where, uh, and again, you know, I keep an open mind because I've, I've got friends and I've got listeners to the show who will say, "Oh, whatever it is." So let's say it's COVID, or let's say it's global warming. Oh, you believe that? It's like, no, but the I, I'm not. <laughs> The thing about me is that I always keep an open mind that I can change my mind. But it was like when 95% of the evidence is pointing to this, then that's probably right. I mean, and again, and if something comes out later that, that proves it's wrong, then I can change my mind. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, like like you say, it's it's a bit to me, it's just a bit foolish to just ignore all the evidence because either you don't want to hear it or a person or a group that you trust tells you otherwise. But when you can see things happening, like, again, when I was young, man, like every year we would get snow on the ground in October, maybe November. And then it would be like solid up until March or April. It would never melt. So we'd have snowpack that whole time. A few years ago, probably 10 years ago, I saw that where I'm from at Christmas, it was like 50 degrees and I nearly fell out of my chair. I thought there's no way like, but again, it's. It, uh, and and, and it, at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't matter if we've done it as mankind or as some people say, oh, well, the planet's just heating up. We're still in the crap. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter what's causing it. The reality is okay. we need to do something to, yeah, to at least we're, we're never going to eliminate it. Like, we, can, we can't put the genie back in the bottle and go back to living in caves unless we're forced to. But on the other hand, we can sure as hell not exacerbate it more, you know? I'm very much in your position. I'm like I'm not very uh, married to any position, like on the uh, climate thing. But I'm 
I'm very swayed by the evidence. The evidence seems to be that we're not helping things very much. That's right? it. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and like, like you say, I mean, me personally, um, in fact, uh, I, I don't know how much of my program you've heard, but there was a man called Charles Fort, which uh, when you hear terms like 40N or 40Anna, that's where that all came from was this this guy and uh one of the things i do on my show every time i do a news segment it's a bit of an homage to him because he's one of the first people who started gathering stories about things like lights in the sky sea serpents ghost ships all this kind of stuff and actually putting them into a book for people to read and and that's what he always said just just what you're saying now he always said that he got really annoyed when people would say to him like Oh, I'm I'm a disciple of you, and he go no 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 no, you don't get it. Like I'm like what what you just said. Don't be married to any one position. You need to have an open mind and change your thoughts. And he goes, and that includes me. If I'm yeah. saying things that don't add up, you need to not listen to me. You know. Yeah, yeah dog, dogma doesn't help anyone. I, I fully agree, and uh, I I don't know about each person, but it's like me. I've had some things in my life that. 20 years ago or 30 years ago i would have said like that's a fact and now it's like i look back at it and go it's not a fact like and in fact um i i don't know if it was ever true or if it was just something that we you know i was told to think this way and this is how it is and as i've as i've kind of gone on this life journey man more and more when i hear people say to me this is what happened it's like unless you've got 100 percent undisputable proof that nothing nothing gets me more angry faster yeah. than when somebody says this is what happened if you were there and you witnessed it and everything else fine but like i say things like ufos on either side but you know when people say well this is what happened four billion years ago hang on so we were here or where's your time machine you know one or the other yes the fossil record shows you some things and this is why i love people any scientist anyone who's humble enough to say this is my opinion or this is my best case fine i'm on board with you but as soon as you start saying this is what happened and we know really <laughs> how do we know yeah I, I i would listen to someone like a scientist more when they start explaining something with um this is our best guess of what happened this is our based off the evidence we have that if, like this is like you're saying like, like this is what we know for 100 like, sure this is what happened like no this is like like people don't know this like scientists they can't say anything to 100 percent sure because evidence new evidence can pop up like anytime and change the complete model of anything so they're always like it's 99 they're always saying like they're 99.9 .9 sure about what's up about anything well, they like they have to because like I think it was like uh einstein his, his theory like pretty much like changed everything about like physics and everything uh look man einstein uh you go back further you go back to newton yeah newton. galileo all those sorts of scientific minds they always said uh, never like like you say never be cemented to an opinion uh even darwin you know there's lots of things about darwin's theories that he never proved and it basically drove him nuts that he couldn't prove this for a fact or that for a fact.
but the thing is like i say and, and i'm not saying evolution is is wrong but what i'm saying is he didn't have all the facts he didn't have all the proof and yet it was it's been presented to us that this is 100 foolproof and we we know that this is what happened if you go back and you read Darwin's own books, his own theories, his own notes, he shows there were lots of things that he wasn't sure about, that there were holes in his theory. And yet, but the problem is that they don't want that because it's kind of like that thread on the shirt or the sweater. Once you start pulling that one thread, you don't know what else uh, could come loose. Back in the 80s, man, I remember, of course, we had Star Wars and we had Star Trek and all of that. But I remember being told in school there's no proof that there's planets outside of our solar system and what, really oh yeah man there's there's no because at that time they hadn't observed any planets outside of our solar system wow. right there's no proof and there's definitely no proof of any earth-like so anything you hear about aliens and and ufos and star trek and it's all sci-fi and i mean that that's it and so i i do find it amazing that even in our living memory how much these things can be proven wrong and of course you know they'll say oh yeah well we always knew that it would be proved but but we we had to withhold uh you know we had to withhold judgment until it was proven true but yeah man that again um i there are some scientists that i think are phenomenal and they uh most of these people are much brighter than all i'll ever be in a hundred lifetimes but again human hubris and arrogance at the end of the day is what just annoys the hell out of me no matter what the vocation is whether it's an uh, a biologist or an astrophysicist or whatever it's when we start saying we know everything for sure it's like no we don't your field didn't even exist a hundred years ago that you're working in okay so imagine another hundred years what we're going to find out and we're going to go well we were completely wrong about that weren't we um Again, you know, I've, I've heard it on all these kind of different topics, like like you were saying about kind of uh, big apes in North America and the possibility of cryptids and that. And you'll hear these people say conclusively, well, that's impossible. Now, mm. I'm not saying for sure that Bigfoot's out there, but I'll tell you this. I grew Possible. up in the Pacific Northwest, and man, there's there's lots of forests out there in places. There were, th there were places that we knew that you would have a deer shot and it would go and crawl off in the woods and die and it never found you never find the bones because predators come along and they chew them up and also a lot of those soils in the in the pacific northwest are very acidic and they dissolve bones in that i mean a perfect example is uh, again you don't know if you're not from there but there's been very few human remains ever found of American uh, Indians or Native Americans in the Pacific Northwest in a lot of those areas because the soil dissolves the bones. And again, oh. it's just, it, yeah. Now, am I saying, you know, because even, okay, it, within my own family, my own sister doesn't believe in Sasquatch. And she's from the same area I am and everything else. I've not seen one. But I would say, like, if, if you say to me on kind of all the different topics how likely is it that there is a Sasquatch or a Yeti or something or a wild man? I would say, as far as I'm concerned, out of all the topics, that's one of the ones that I'm most sure that somewhere in this world, there is some, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that necessarily every story is true, but I'm sure that there's something out there somewhere in one of the, you know, in the jungles, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, in British Columbia, somewhere. And again, it could only be a hundred of them. You know, I'm not saying there's millions of them roaming around, but the Native Americans and the, the Canadian First Nations, they wrote about Sasquatch and they said, you know, they've, they wrote about it as a matter of factly, 
no differently than they wrote about other tribes. In fact, they called them another tribe of humans. So to me personally, yes, it, I know that no one's shot one and trotted it out and all of that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't exist or we won't find them in our lifetime. Uh, so yeah, uh, again, I get that, you know, scientists want that 100% definitive proof, but again, you go back a hundred years ago, we had no proof that atoms existed. Yeah. We had no proof that there were electrons or protons, but it didn't make it not true. And, and they may never prove it. Don't get me wrong. I could be completely wrong. But um, things like that, I, it's just like ghosts, right? And and yeah. that there's an afterlife. Now, again, everyone's got their own opinions. I've had two NDEs. I've been around a lot of entities, let's call them, because I, I don't I can't guarantee what they were. But I've definitely been around what I would call spirits. I've lived with them. And I, as far as I'm concerned, I've got no doubt that we persevere after death in some way because at the simplest form, energy can't be destroyed. It can only be converted. And we are an electrical, we're basically, if you listen to science, we're basically a bag of meat with salt water and electricity running through us. So we have energy. So when we die, that energy has to go somewhere. So at, at the very base form, we uh, have to persevere actually, somehow. Actually, our, our very, very base form, we're like waves of energy. Or even like the, even tables or stuff's on my table. Everything's just like energy, particles, and it's crazy. Like the little tiny wormholes inside of them. Well, you look at some of the, 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 the stuff that's happened even in the last five and 10 years from a scientific standpoint that. I mean, growing up, man, it was just straight science fiction. So you look at things like quantum entanglement, or you look at, uh, I, I just read a news article on the episode I dropped just before we came on, actually. And it's basically about these scientists who created, uh, for lack of a better term, almost like a, uh, like a, a shield or a, a sled type, you know, item like a cup and using light beams to basically hold it up like to propel it up and basically their idea is they want to take these items and use them to test the atmosphere and that they would need no propellant and they so it's basically what? levitation yeah it, it's just like I, I just read the article and i've got i've got the link in the show notes um i, I just came across and i went this is really cool and you hear about some of these other things about um uh basically invisibility being able to cloak things with a substance that basically reflects the light so it's almost like a mirror but it's basically that whatever the item is to our perception through you know at least from a visual standpoint that's invisible because it bends the light around them stealth aircraft i mean you you look at some of these things that have happened man in the not too distant past and it's like wow um I'll be amazed what happens before the, the time comes for me to pass on and, you know, another hundred years past that or whatever. But again, it, like I say, it just goes to show how quickly things can change. And that's why I love it when people say definitively, this is what happened or definitively, we know this. Reality is we don't. And again, give us a hundred years, I'll guarantee that our paradigm and the way that we look at the universe is completely different than it is now. No different than the way that people looked at things in 1900. Okay, uh, for anybody didn't really catch what you said, but you're saying that, that they're using lasers or propel stuff. stuff or, no, it's not even lasers. It's it's just beams of light. It's beams so, of light. It's, uh, wow. Yeah. So so I know that that's what a laser is, but it's not anywhere near as uh, um, focused as uh, focused as that. Right. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember the um, 
the lab off the top of my head, but but this article, I do remember the article was in Wired, and I can get the link for you. Every time I read a news article on my program, I always include the links in the show notes because there might be people come along and go, what was that article? Or I'd like to know more about that. And this was very in-depth. I mean, the scientists went through exactly what they did, how they tested it, how they developed it. It wasn't one of those scientists that made this levitate and more in six months. It was like, it was, I was shocked how detailed it was. And they basically said the idea is to test the, the mesosphere, I think it is. So it's, it's the layer between the highest layer mm-hmm. of the atmosphere. Uh, yeah. So what they were saying is this layer doesn't get um, studied as much as they'd like because jet and prop aircraft can't fly there because the atmosphere is too thin, but it's got enough drag that if you try and fly a satellite through it, it will be pulled into the orbit. So it's kind of in a no man's land, so to speak. And so that's why they were developing this is that they want to be able to loft these things up into the atmosphere, it, like basically just scientific instruments to read and uh, gather information of what's up there, what's going on. That's very cool. Yeah, uh, and that's one of the coolest things about this the show that I do. I mean, some people might just think it's all woo-woo and tinfoil hats and Bilderberg and Illuminati. But the reality is uh, most of the stuff that I do is, I like I say, I do a new segment every time I have a regular show that's not a bonus episode or something. And I read a lot of these things. A lot of the listeners send them through to me. There's another article out there that I haven't read yet, but I'm going to be doing. And it's about basically scientists for the first time ever making communication with people who are in a lucid dream state. Ooh. So basically they're lucid dreaming and scientists in the waking world have communicated with someone who's in a lucid dream and um i'm gonna i'll cover that article on my next episode but again that that's crazy that's like nightmare on elm street stuff you know what you're saying earlier about like knowledge and how your mother had knowledge and like my mother has knowledge like all our mothers do but it makes me think like about like 200 300 years ago all knowledge would be considered like witchcraft back then oh yeah uh, no doubt i mean um i i could have it wrong but i'm i'm like 90 percent sure when i say this and my, my head's so chock full of these different things that i've yeah. remembered over the years sometimes i get things slightly wrong but i'm sure it was copernicus that was basically um, executed by the catholic church for believing that the solar system was not uh heliocentric which means um or sorry was heliocentric so he came along and said the sun is the center of the solar system and the catholic church at the time said no the earth is the center of the solar system um and basically they they killed him over it so uh like you say there were lots of things back then i mean even um newton so before einstein newton was always looked at as the greatest scientist in history now there have been things that have come out about newton that he was basically practicing uh alchemy and different kinds of arts that were were definitely considered uh, dark arts or witchcraft or satanic at the time. And so he had to be very careful with how he proceeded because, again, he he could not only lose his job, but he could find himself on the chopping block for it. And uh, Newton's like freaking, he was so smart. Like I used to talk about like a story of like his apple hit his head and like gravity. No, but he, he would like made calculus, I think. He like came up with calculus 
on top of his head. Like, it's crazy. I can't do that. Uh, so, I mean, again, uh, so in, in our kind of our current time, he uh, he had as much of an effect at his time as Einstein has had in our time. Yeah. I mean. This is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairieland Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. Like you say, Sir Isaac Newton, basically modern science and modern physics and all of that if he wouldn't have gone first, there would have been no Einstein. There would have been no one else because we would still be thinking that uh, we would still be thinking in that way. I mean, I'm sure someone else would have come across, but, you know, maybe we'd be a hundred years behind where we are now or more if we wouldn't have had someone who was so far ahead of his time like that guy was. You're right. He he was just amazingly advanced for his time and the way he thought and everything else. And even he, like you say, I mean, he had to dumb down a lot of his his theories in that because they were just too far out there at that time. And he, he could have very much, well, where are you getting this from? Because if it's not coming from God, if God isn't telling you, you must be getting it from the devil, which means, mm. yeah, <laughs> uh, time to hang you, buddy. Yep, <laughs> you're a witch. <laughs> which, uh, I don't know, most people don't know this, but witch means like wise woman, like wisdom means like wise woman like people who like give um like uh old like home remedies and shit like that and well again a lot of people for that they kill like a lot of women and men for being witches it's awful like great well basically once the roman empire fell like like you say i mean most of europe that was it it just got very um, superstitious about things and the reality is uh, again I mean it's not a, a secret thing that people don't know about but reality is if it wasn't for uh, the um, uh, Islamic Empire and, and, and the states and all the stuff that came from there all of the knowledge that they kept that got burned when Rome was destroyed and sacked uh, you know, we would probably still, we, we definitely wouldn't be doing space travel and everything else because they basically said, it, it's just like, any, so like we talked about with the power out, if the power goes out in Texas, but all the other states are okay, you can repair Texas. But if the power goes out everywhere, you're, you're basically screwed. Mm. And that's what happened when Rome fell. Basically, you know, Europe kind of got plunged into the dark ages, so to speak, although it's been proven it wasn't nearly as, backwards as what we've been taught but still the knowledge that came from the outside that kind of rebooted europe came from the islamic empire and from ireland so all the saints or sorry not the saints the the um the monks and that that had retained the knowledge in ireland and ireland was far enough out that obviously the barbarians didn't go and sack all the monasteries but basically if we wouldn't have had that knowledge to reboot things 
it, you know, like I say, we definitely wouldn't be, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation, that's for sure, because we wouldn't have computers and we probably wouldn't have electricity yet if we wouldn't have had that kind of head start when we rebooted uh, Western European civilization. True. Like, oh, look, like, man, li li life is hard. And I always say to like people, Tesla you know, like, oh, life is hard. It's not easy. But when we think about how fortunate we are to be alive at this day and time yeah. in history, out of all of the times that we could have, you know, found ourselves walking around and talking in that, it's amazing that we're in this time and place because, don't get me wrong, man, life is not easy. And lots of people have had a lot harder lives than I have. Uh, I can't imagine what it'd be like, you know, for example, being paralyzed or something like that. Um, but all I'm saying is it's like in this day and time, we have got the ability to do things like this, to consume knowledge. Uh, it's not like it was um, even 200 years ago or 300 even, years ago, where it was basically like we had to be ago. out. Yeah, we, we had to be out working and we had to be out gathering food. And if you weren't gathering food, you better be getting firewood and everything else. And you didn't have free time to do things like what, what we get to do now, you know? Yeah. Like, imagine like, like even like 1900, like living 1910. I can't. Okay. Fucking weird. Well, um, when when my when when we uh, lived in Southern California, my mom yeah. did home care for a lady. Yeah. And she uh, she was born around that time of nineteen oh five, something like that. Ooh, cool. And she was really yeah, she was really onto it. Like she was really sharp for being in her nineties, and she used to be a librarian. And she, like, for example, there's a famous earthquake in Southern California in 1933. She could tell me where she was, what happened, everything else when that earthquake happened. And that was 40 plus years before I was born. And she could tell, tell me about it like it was yesterday. Well, she told me back then when she was a little girl, she used to go to her grandfather's ranch and her grandfather's ranch was in Compton. So now we think about you know south central la and compton yeah. and it's one big city and back yeah. then she said compton was a village and you had to ride seven or eight miles through the country to get to compton so all of that area in living memory at that time had all been farmland and had you oh. see what i'm saying like yeah that, that like you say it's it's pretty crazy how much uh in one lifetime we go through uh, i know they were talking about for example in 50 years you know we went from not having any flight sorry not 50 years 60 years not having any planes or anything to landing on the moon you know that's pretty insane one lifetime you go from that like powered flight starts and you're born before that and then in 1969 we're landing on the moon crazy yeah people are always like why can't we go back to the moon yeah because we don't really have no reason to we're much done the dick measuring contest with russia you now all it was well, yeah, and again, man, I mean, uh, don't don't get me wrong. Like, I know there are people who think that we never went to the moon. I don't know for a fact we did. I didn't go to the moon, but I know that my stepdad worked on the rockets, worked on the Saturn rockets that that's really cool. that went to the moon. So yeah, he worked on the uh, he worked on the St. Louis Arch as well on the Freedom Arch in St. Louis, and he fought in World War II, grew up in the Great Depression, and. Um, he actually, uh, a, a bit of an insider story that he gave me, and he always thought it was BS, but I covered it. So I did the 1941 Cape Girardeau uh, purported UFO crash, 
And so uh, before Roswell, before all that, and he told me in, uh, in the 50s when he was a truck driver in the Midwest, he knew a guy who he used to run into every once in a while who used to do truck routes. And he was talking to this guy in St. Louis in a cafe. And this was uh, after Roswell had happened. And he was having a bit of a laugh with the guy because he's saying, oh, my buddy, you know, he lives in New Mexico. He was telling me about this. And he goes, oh, it's all a bunch of crap, eh? And this other truck driver told him, um, he goes, well, I can tell you what happened in Cape Girardeau. And he said he know he knew that it happened. And he knew the the uh, the minister that was in town, the Baptist minister that went and blessed these uh creatures for lack of a better term before they died and that he saw it in everything else and my dad always thought the guy was just having him on and this is before any of this stuff came out like people you know researched it and everything else so he heard from this guy in the early 50s he heard this story from him and he always thought the guy was just kind of reading out of a science fiction book but yeah that, i did an episode on it and you know i and dad said to me like when i asked him about it i said oh why didn't you he goes again he goes he, he said to me it, it would be like you went to work and you saw a guy one time and the guy told you that um, uh, somebody from Zeta Reticuli was in the, you know what I'm saying? He said it was so unbelievable and it wasn't like a close friend of his or family. And he just kind of passed it off as like a, 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 what do you call it? A wives tale or, you know, a exaggeration or something. And, but it always stuck with me when he told me that story. And then I've got um, I've got some other ones that people have told me about. I knew a guy who had some stuff he told me about the uh, the Battle of Los Angeles in 1942. And again, I'll I'll make sure that I cover that when I do the episode. I personally I've never seen a UFO, um, but it, again, it doesn't mean that I don't believe that that people are seeing something. I don't believe that everyone that sees stuff in the sky is seeing Venus or is drunk or is hallucinating or you know I mean. there's just too many cases personally and again what are they i don't know but i i definitely think that people are seeing something and are a large amount of them probably secret craft from the government or something yeah probably but again it's not anything that's explained as far as a satellite or uh, a meteor or the case that we had in new zealand that i covered you should have seen some of the ridiculous explanations they had oh it was an unburnt meteor so and it was following a plane, but it was lit up, but it was unburnt. So it didn't burn up, but it, yeah. Uh, another one was that it was a squid boat, Another, you know, and then it was Venus, even though they proved that Venus wasn't even above the horizon for another hour. Oh, yeah, man. It's But what they do is they just throw what they try to do is they throw these excuses out there. And, and just like we talked about before, this has been explained. And then if somebody comes out and says, well, actually, this hasn't been explained, then they come up with another excuse. And all they're trying to do is wait out that news cycle to move on to something else and to take people's attention away from it. I've been doing these CIA files. Um, the uh, So there were a bunch of yeah CIA files dumped last year uh, on the Black Vault. Um, and I've been basically there's like 2,700 pages, I think. And I do bonus episodes where I just randomly pull a PDF file out. I read about it. I read what's there. And this episode I just did tonight before I came on here, it was basically talking about Tunguska and uh, the explosion in 1911 in Siberia. And in this file, this CIA file, they were saying that basically these Russian scientists are convinced that it was a extraterrestrial craft that something to do with this event. It wasn't a meteor. It wasn't a comet. And this is coming from Russia where it happened. So, you know, it's not somebody 
It's not like one of us sitting at home making up a theory. It's coming from Soviet scientists. And again, in 1965, and there's so many of these, many of them I'll read and they're pretty blah. There's not much in them, but you come across one like this and it's like, wow, you know, it's again, this is just, this is from the CIA. It's not from, like I say, it's not from somebody writing a book or it's, it's not from somebody who's trying to pitch a movie idea. It's coming from the CIA. Uh, I forget the exact report. There was some report that came out like in this either early seventies or late sixties. Uh, like how the CIA was like doing a bunch of like shady stuff, like checking people's mail and the, I think MK ultra came out. Oh, oh yeah. You, look, man, you, you, you're right. And this is what I always kind of have a chuckle about. And I've said, it, look again, I, I try not to attack anyone on my program. I not, yeah. I try the, the thing to me is the whole, the whole basis of what I do is that I just want people to have the information and to go mm-hmm. out and find it. I don't try to talk down to people or act yeah. like I know everything. Cause I definitely don't. And so I do try and hold back on the show, not to, but man, sometimes when I hear these people saying things like, Oh, the government would never keep oh. a secret from us. And, and that's what I've been saying lately, man. That's been my latest spin is that, and if you don't believe that the government's keeping an eye on you, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn. I'll sell you, man. I'll sell it to you cheap. It's because it's, it's happening. I, I mean, these files I've been reading through, they're basically showing that everyone in uh, yet around the world, the CIA was monitoring basically all of the media, all the papers, yeah. all the channels back in the 80s and 90s. And it's it's there in these CIA files. So if they were doing that then, like 30 plus years ago, obviously they're keeping an eye on everything 10 times better now. And yeah. this is why I always laugh when people say to me things like, oh, well, yeah, but um, uh, I said something to someone on a chat on Facebook and now all of a sudden my account's been suspended. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. but they're not watching my chats. Who says? Yeah, like even even if even if they say to you we're not, th- that's not any proof. They are anyway. We know that. And I've had instances where I've been on phone calls, like actually not online, not on Facebook, but on a phone call with someone from here to the US and we would talk about certain subjects and you could hear things going. You, you 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 didn't hear someone breaking in and talking, but you could hear like where you'll hear that kind of click or hum, and then all of a sudden there's a bit of a hum. There's something going on, and I've got a very good friend that I grew up with. I went to school with. Now he told me some of the stuff we were talking about. Sure enough, in the middle of the call, he's got like a patrol car turning up in his neighborhood, Whoa. which is a really quiet neighborhood. It's not like anything goes on there, but they just randomly drive by us. And this is like one in the morning on a weeknight drive by his property, see him sitting outside on the porch and like kind of give him like the head nod wave. Or he told me another time we were talking about kind of this stuff, CIA, FBI, all that kind of stuff. And then he said he got off the phone with me and about 10 minutes later, a a helicopter flew overhead. And he said, there's no helicopters there. They don't, it's a small town. So they don't have like a news helicopter or anything like that. The police don't have a helicopter. And all of a sudden this helicopter just flies over his property nice and slow. And again, it wasn't like, you know, making tracks. It was just going, it was wanting to be seen in other words. And so look, I'm, I'm, I try not to be that guy that thinks that behind every bush um, is a, is a government agent. But when you see things like this happen, man, it's like, it does make you wonder. And some of these cases that I've covered, you know, the Stephenville lights case in Texas, there was a farmer, he went, public and he talked about what he saw and everything else 
Next thing you know, there's jets flying over his property every day. He's getting phone calls from military personnel or purporting to say that they're from the military, basically telling him to shut up. Uh, he had a friend who was ex-military. He got a hold of his friend to say, what the hell is going on? And his friend told him point blank, why are you talking about this stuff? This is why. He goes, you are talking about stuff they don't want you to talk about. And then when he tried to talk to his friend after that, his friend like basically told him, leave me alone. Don't don't talk to me. I don't want anything to do with you. You're bad news. And he he had this colonel or whoever on the phone. And he said, why do you have helicopters and jets flying over my property at night? I've got cattle. What are you doing in my airspace? And the colonel laughed at him and told him, what do you mean your airspace? This is my airspace and we'll do whatever we want. And basically, once he kind of shut up and, and tamped things down a bit, then the kind of overflight stopped. The jets kept on, but the helicopters stopped. And again, it just goes to show, I mean, like I say, if out of every hundred cases, let's just say 99 of these are just people making up things because they want to get attention. Well, it still leaves one case out of every hundred. Yeah. And there's been hundreds of thousands of these cases. So there's definitely a burden that something is going on. I mean, whether it's men in black, whether it's intimidation. I mean, again, you, you've heard these stories about people in the military being told, shut up. There were the, the case at Roswell, Mac Brazel, the, the rancher. First, he was told to shut up. He didn't see anything. Then he was paid off because, I mean, this guy made like back then, it would have taken him about five years to buy a new truck. All of a sudden, the military comes and talks to him and tells him to shut up. And he turns up in town with a brand new Ford pickup. Okay, so obviously he got a gift, you know what I'm saying? And he shut up and he never wanted to talk about it again. Um, they've always said for the longest time, back to the Roman you know, times, they didn't say it exactly this way because they didn't have guns, but they've always said that it's easier to pay someone with gold than to, back then they said than to pay them with iron, meaning to kill them. It's easier to shut them up with money. But if you don't want to shut up, there's other ways to shut you up. And usually it's threats, but I'm sure there have been times that it's gone further than threats, you know? Yeah, like that uh, one reporter who, like, crashed his car. Oh. Well, uh, and maybe you've heard of this before, but um, again, when people say that, oh, the government wouldn't do this and the government wouldn't go that far. So there was a guy in the 80s, and I want to say off the top of my head, his name was Paul Benowitz. And he was basically, he was in or around uh, Albuquerque either Albuquerque or um, maybe Tucson. And he basically said that he was getting audio signals from this base, uh, from the military base. And that basically he was, he was picking up on them talking about black projects like the stealth and that. And basically the military turned loose this guy named Richard Doty to make Benowitz think that he was getting communications from ETs because the whole idea was to throw them off the track of yeah. black projects. And basically, um, again, I, I haven't looked it up lately, but basically my understanding is that that guy either killed himself or got driven crazy because they just basically, um, you know, scrambled his, scrambled his brain by confusing him so much and leading him down this rabbit hole. Now this guy, Richard Doty has come out and I've seen interviews with him in that, and he'll tell, if you interviewed him, he'll tell you one version of events. And if I interviewed him, he'd tell me another version. So he never gives you the straight story. And that's classic disinfo, of course. I mean, yeah. that's what they do. They want to sow this misunderstanding. So that that right there, I mean, they've never, they've never denied that this guy was DOD. They've never denied that 
he kind of he kind of uh, led this guy down the garden path. So if he did it, how many other times has this happened? Like you say, and of course we've heard of these stories of men in black or just military people turning up. There was a guy named Alfred Bender in the '60s, and he basically had information he said that was going to blow the lid off of um, UFO studies. All of a sudden, he gets a visit from the Men in Black, and they basically intimidated him into not releasing it. And it scared the hell out of him so bad, he basically destroyed all of his research. Like then, like they basically told him, if you publish your book, um, as you're, you, it's going to be you're going to be gone. You're going to go where they never find you, or something along those terms. And again, it's 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 something that a lot of people just haven't heard that story. And when I got into this and when I started doing the programs, again, I only know my own uh, life journey and I only know what I know. And the more I dug into it, I was like, I, was, um, uh, I wasn't really shocked because it's always been a fascination of mine. But I went, wow, okay, people haven't heard about this or haven't heard about that. So it just kind of fueled me to present more of these things. And again, sometimes I'll go down and I'll start working on a case and I'll find out it's basically been plausibly explained it was probably this that or the other and you know i i don't shy away from that i'll still kind of cover it and i'll say okay well it was probably this and this is what the explanations are i'm what i'm saying is i'm not the person who goes well i don't want to talk about this because they explained this case i just want to talk about the kind of the ufo side i'll always present that that kind of information because again like i say i'm sure there's lots of things lots of these ufo cases if we had all the answers probably there would be some explanation that was other than an et craft or whatever but the reality is it only takes one it only takes one of these cases being true if it's roswell if it's rendlesham forest if it's kecksburg if it's kelly hopkinsville it only takes one to show that we're not alone whether they're interdimensional or they're from the inner earth or they're from another planet in the solar system or another universe it just we're not the only you know intelligent life in the universe yeah. like it's very very unlikely we're the only intelligent beings in the universe it's, it's like, well again man that's look that's i remember being told in school that yeah. you know we we are it basically because it was a very uh, it was a very biblical, central, very um, centric way of looking at it. Is it is but even the, the Bible time, yeah. was it some eight, like eighties, you saying? Yeah, yeah, early eighties, mid eighties. This is um, yeah. very um, around the what's it called the and stuff. Yep, yep. It was um, God, what was that? Uh, I can't think of it. Uh, like like Satan. Uh, Satan panic, some. Yep, satanic panic. That's yeah, it. Satanic panic. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, I I was I was a bit young for that. So what I mean is, I I I thought D and D was cool and all that, but I was yeah. a bit young. Like I wasn't a teenager to where I had a group of people to do it with and all that. But I I yeah, man. My and my and my mom and my parents were fairly grounded, so they didn't get all panicky about that kind of stuff. But oh yeah, man. Uh, the satanic panic they were seeing satan and everything uh kiss you know the band kiss yeah they were saying kiss stood for knights in satan's service um they were saying that uh, acdc stood for antichrist something else you know they were saying if you played records backwards 
on and on and on. Um, you're right, man. And it was a real thing because I do remember, uh, although I was quite young, I do remember there'd be specials on 60 Minutes and um, Nightline and all these different things about, you know, them basically asking that question. Is this really, you know, satanic? Because things like D&D, obviously, they talk about the lower realms and they talk about uh, demons and all that. So, well, you know, they just jump to that conclusion that it must be condoning it and it must be, you know, saying that it's it's a good thing. But it's just a freaking game, man. Like, uh, I was listening to a podcast about, like, um, Aleister Crowley. And yeah. his stuff was... The Beast. He was... He was a... He was a fun guy. He was doing some... <laughs> he was partying. A- Aleister Crowley. And then a little bit later on in kind of the 40s and 50s. If uh, you haven't already looked into it, look into Jack Parson. Jack yeah. Parson and uh, and he would believe it or not this is one of the craziest things now you may already know this but a lot of people don't so you had Jack Parson and he was kind of doing his thing with the blood sex magic and oh yeah Babylon working and all that and then who was he hanging out with he uh, was ha- hanging out with L. Ron Hubbard yeah Hubbard telescope he's the guy. yep he's the guy who founded Scientology and uh, he's the guy who wrote that uh, Dynamics book and all of that. And basically, L. Ron Hubbard screwed over Jack Parsons because he told him that he had this. It was a deal like something like, give me $5,000 and I'll go and buy a yacht in Florida and I'll sail it around to San Diego and we can sell it for three times that or whatever. And he basically ran off with uh, Jack Parsons' girlfriend and his money. And oh, just, fuck. Yeah, man. And, and, and this is... That, that, that's it. And that's why I chuckle about all this stuff is a lot of these guys that, you know, history has taught us were these really cultish type figures. And, and what I'm saying is like, you know, charismatic and really yeah. onto it. But at their base core, they were just like, hey, man, I get five grand free and screw over this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like very humanistic type um, uh, instincts at the base of it all. It, they, it's like Charles Manson. I knew people who knew Charles Manson. And, um, you know, he was he was basically, again, he was one of those guys at a very base level. He liked to have sex. He liked to do drugs and and uh, get things for free. So um, he, he did a lot of things like that. You know, he'd, he'd basically get men into his group so that he, he'd get the women to kind of lure the men in so he could basically rob them blind and not have to work. And, get, and then um, when they... When they didn't have any use for him anymore, he'd either turn them loose or he'd take them out in Death Valley. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of stories that there there are dozens of bodies buried out there that uh, that uh, have never been found. Uh, that Manson had people in the group that just kind of one day disappeared. And when people would say, oh, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, I don't know. He took off. guys, this is Heather and Kristen, the hosts of Sinister Sweethearts podcast, and we want to share with you a little bit about our show. If you're looking for fun banter between old college sweetmates about all things paranormal, sinister, weird, and generally creepy, check out our podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. And um, they, they reckon that he, he took him out there in the desert and left him to die. can it like uh imagine like killing anybody like it's like this hurting somebody like gives me like the 
think it's all good. No, man. Um, look, I fully agree. Uh, it, it's the same with me now. I've when I was younger, so I've I've, I've got I've, I'm a quarter Irish, yeah. and I've definitely got a temper. But yeah. but with me, it's not so much. My temper isn't really like I just snap. It's more like you threaten me and I snap. And you know, I don't. As I, as I got older, I learned it's like it's not worth it. Walk away. Yeah. I mean, I've 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 had I've stood down gangbangers. I've had fist fights in intersections when I was younger. All kinds of stuff. But again, when it's when it was that snap and it was fight or flight then with me generally um i didn't back down but like you say that with me if anything ever happened it would basically 99.9 percent chance that someone had basically threatened my life or put me in a position where i had to protect myself but i agree uh, to me there are three things that i feel as humans we can never come back from if you rape a woman or, or a man if you uh, sexually abuse a child and if you murder someone, those are three things you can never recover from. Because if you kill someone, no matter what you do for their family or their loved ones, you can never make up for taking that other person's life. I mean, and I mean murder. I don't mean self-defense. I don't mean an accident. I mean, you murder someone with the intent of murdering them. My feeling is that you can never make up for that. Same with rape, because that person is forever going to be psychologically scarred. They're never going to be right again. And it's the same with molesting a child. And that's just my personal opinion. But those are the three crimes that, as far as I'm concerned, you can steal whatever you want, but you can at, at least you have the chance to make amends on that. Yeah. Yes, you made someone's life difficult, but you can always pay back that money. But you can never turn back the clock once you've done one of those three things. I agree. It's very hard. Like uh, uh, my brother was in an accident like last year. I seen him in the hospital. And like, seeing like all like, all wires and stuff, all around him, like plugged into him. Yeah, you know, like it's all yeah. is like like in the cast and everything. It's like he's like he about died. Like, he did die on the spot, but next like they brought him back. And like seeing him like that, it's like fuck with me hard. Like it's, well, no man. I look. I I I personally I can't know what that's like and the reason i say that is i've had loved ones in the hospital and everything else but yeah. but older people generally so a bit more when we expect people you know yeah. to get ill or have an accident but but yeah man that that is what you're saying is so spot on and again i say it on the show all the time i'm far from perfect oftentimes i'm a hypocrite but also I'll call my own self out on my BS, yeah. but that's, but, but what you're saying is that our lives in like literally the blink of an eye can just change. And so that's what I often try and tell people is that, yes, we, you know, what I'm saying is don't go and sell your house to go to the casino and gamble because today you want to gamble. But on the other hand, those little things that we get so aggravated about and we sweat so much over, like you say, man, to look tomorrow, we could not be here or we could be hospitalized or so many other things and try not to get burdened down with those day-to-day -day things. Somebody cut me off in traffic today or um, my neighbor yelled at me. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I, I think you understand with your brother having gone through that. Is he all right now? Like, has he recovered? Yeah, he's okay. He's just, his legs all fucked up now. It's like he's going to be the same. Um, when be, Just after I was born, my my biological father, he had a major chainsaw accident. 
470 some stitches chewed up his whole leg with the chainsaw and um and he was never right after that like the whole time i knew him he was i try not to be judgmental but he wasn't exactly the best human being and mm -hmm. he only really taught me personally in my life how to lie cheat and steal and um but i do tend to look like you know my mom said to me look he was never like a saint but definitely that accident changed him because he got hooked on morphine and back then i mean they weren't very good at surgery and that and they basically they they screwed up his leg like he was never right mm -hmm. and i remember looking at his leg and he had this massive scar it looked like a spiral cut ham he just had this huge scar around his leg and he had a little piece of his calf that was attached but it almost looked like the shrunken head type thing you know what i mean he yeah. he, he was never right and and so i i know what you're saying is like you'll you can recover quote unquote but some things you just you you're never the same after yeah. uh, it doesn't mean you can't live and you can't have a good life but um you're just you, you're never the same after you've had that happen yeah you got an uh like a head on collision in the car and fortunately he's he survived but unfortunately very unfortunately the other party didn't survive I remember that was another car and yeah that's what really tears him up all time yeah yeah i i've had, look i've had a few times in my life where i've just whatever reason like i don't think I personally, I do believe that there are such a thing as, to a degree, psychic powers and intuition and all of that. And I've experienced some intuition in my life. It's generally that gut feeling, as we say, mm -hmm. like you'll have a gut, like you'll meet someone and you'll, your gut feeling will say there's something off about this person. Yeah. And I've had a few instances in my life, man, believe it or not, where there was one time I pulled up to a light, it was red, it went green and for whatever reason i sat there for about five seconds and sure enough a car came through just like right after that blew the red light on their side and steamed through so if i would have been going through i would have been you know probably it would have hit me on the driver's side um and i'd be dead and again it was just one of those things where like literally after that happened i'm not even kidding i just sat there with my hands on the steering wheel going did that just happen like yeah. And, and he was trucking. I mean, it wasn't, he didn't come rolling through. He flew through. So I probably would have been T-boned and dead. And yeah, it, 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 again, like you say, I, it's horrific when I hear things like this because I, I, I empathize and I do my best to empathize, but never having been in that situation, I cannot understand what it's like. Like we, like any of us who haven't been through it ourselves, obviously we can't understand, but man, it, and it's gotta be tough because like you say, if somebody doesn't live, no matter what the circumstances were, even if they were a drunk driver or whatever, or even if yeah. they blew the light, it's not like we want to see that person pass away. So yeah. it's got to be really difficult. Yeah. I, that's, um, this is very selfish of me, but I'm glad he survived. If, if oh, anybody yeah, was, yeah, he's my, like my little brother. I love him. He's a little fucking butthead. I hate him sometimes, but, but, but I love him. And, and, and look, man, uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure that if the other person would have lived and he would have, I'm sure that his family would be thinking the same way. They would be, look, I'm, I'm glad that, um, you know, our loved one survived. Uh, funny, funny thing about that, like kind of similar, but some of the stuff that we cover, have you heard some of these stories about these people, uh, organ donors and that, and 
then you know so the so a person will die and then the person will be the the transplant person that gets the heart or whatever mm-hmm. and then they end up having some memories about oh, yeah, that person like, uh, yeah they made a movie kind of like that remember it was called okay. like uh, idle hands or something like that okay like uh, um, uh, hands of a murderer and like he tests it's like stupid it's like a steve ass movie but it was I, I remember uh this one and it was it was pretty um it was pretty far out there because it was like it was a it was a young young lady so either a teenager or a little bit older and she had a she had a transplant i think it was a heart and she i don't know what the rules are and i can't remember if this was in the u.s or where but i know in many countries the donor has to be anonymous so they won't tell you who it was who gave you their heart or whatever and it, the 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 funny bit was after she had her surgery and after she came out of recovery and that it was something like she started craving spicy food and she never ate spicy food before and she started getting some of these other nuances like she started being interested in I can't remember what it was but for argument's sake we'll say like NASCAR you know all of a sudden she's she's interested in it and time went on and eventually she went and and met the donor's family and sure enough this guy it was a guy and he was loved spicy food he was really into nascar all these kind of things and again it just kind of leads me to wonder again like as we were talking about earlier about kind of you know life after death and all that is there some innate part of us that still kind of permeates certain parts of our body or whatever that would carry whether it's at a dna level or what i don't know but i found it fascinating about this this girl because you know she wasn't saying she was having memories but she was just saying like oh i just all of a sudden for whatever reason i was craving like spicy food or whatever it was and i remember this other story about a a vegan and uh or at the time it was vegetarian and you know they were in an accident and, and had some kind of surgery and all of a sudden they're craving steak and so sure enough they ended up eating steak and you know went back to um being a meat eater and that and then they found out later that the person who had donated their um uh, whatever the the body part was was like a cattle rancher and had eaten steak like pretty much every day he was a texan and yeah and some of these stories you hear about it's like and again i get that you can say it's happenstance but i've done three or four episodes so far on reincarnation and and uh again it's just it i think it i call it like the case for reincarnation and i just basically read these stories and some of them man i'm telling you some of them are eerie like freaking eerie one um was in india and it was a young girl she was like five years old riding in a car with her dad yet told him um told the driver of the car pull off the road here and her dad thought she was nuts and and she said to her dad i want to go to my house and get a cup of tea it'll be better than any place we can find on the road and led him like they're like a hundred miles away from where they lived and took her took him to this house where she said she lived in a former life and could like some of these kids man they'll name 50 or 60 different things that then they later find out were true and again we're not like a lot of people have this misconception that everyone who says they had a past life or anyone who remembers reincarnation, everyone thinks they were Napoleon or everyone thinks they were Henry VIII. And there's this misconception that like a lot of people always say they were someone famous, but it's not true, man. I've looked into these cases and the vast majority are people that remember a life of another simple person, whether it was just a farmer or a housewife or a soldier. Um, And I'll, I'll tell you, I'm 
I, I'm, I can't say I'm 100% convinced, but I'm sure there's something going on here. Could it be reincarnation? Yes. Could it be some other things? Yes. But there's things that these people had no way of knowing. And all these cases that I've covered, almost all of them, I think, except for one out of like over 20 cases I've done so far, these were all pre-internet where you couldn't look things up, where you couldn't find out about what went on 50 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Easily. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the, the crazy bit is with almost all of them, it's like these kids start having these memories at around two or three. And most of them, by the time they're seven or eight, the, the memories of their past life kind of fade. So again, even from a timing perspective, it's like, is there a part of our mind that isn't fully developed at that age? And, you know, once you get to a certain age, does it go away? There are a few, but it's quite rare of what they call persistent people who have persistent memories, like all the way through their life, they can remember their past life. But in general, um, most of these most of these children talk about uh, being in a past life, dying, going to what they call heaven. And there was one little boy. Um, they said, what happened after you died? He goes, well, you go up to heaven and you meet God and he gives you this card that says you can come back to earth. And he said, I wanted to come back to earth. So I came back and he said that he was his grandfather before. Ooh. Yeah. So even from the same family. But and again, I, like I say, I, obviously, I don't have any proof on it, but it is some of these are just fascinating. I just I don't see how they could have had the information unless they were psychic or uh, they actually were reincarnated because I don't know where they were getting the information from. It's just it's, it's pretty eerie. Some of these cases. Um, your best case of like this evil child, this uh, girl is like a she was a priestess in her past life in Egypt and she was like I'm a really uh really smart archaeologist really amazing yeah yeah that's right I haven't covered that one over yet but I know the case you're talking about and she basically from a young age she always was drawn towards like Egypt yeah. she always had a feeling that she had lived another life and then one day she convinced either her father or her mother to take her to uh, an exhibit that was presenting Egyptian things. And she basically like she, there was some connection there in that exhibit to what she felt was her past life. There's that case. There's another case about a man from the UK who remembered being, so you've seen Indiana Jones in the last crusade. Yeah, of course. And you know okay. that. Yeah. So, so you know that kind of like where there's the entrance to the temple where the Holy Grail is. Yeah. Well, that's, that's Petra in Jordan. It's one of the most famous archeological sites in the world. Well, that was a city. And this guy remembers very clearly in his previous life, living in this city and everything. He, he saw a special on BBC about it. And he was having these memories about living there. Well, the crazy bit is then later on, he got in touch with archeologists and they had certain questions about some different objects and that, that they didn't know what they were used for, or they couldn't understand how this worked. And he explained it and he ended up being right. Wow. So again, I mean, this is something even the archeologists didn't know, but this guy had the right answer. So again, how could, even if you said, oh, well, he went and looked on the internet. Well, how did he get it right? Yeah. How do you, is there the archaeologist to know? So and, and there's uh, one that I have covered. She's one of the most famous cases. Her name was Barbara O'Collin, and she was from, I want to say Sweden, but either Sweden or Finland. 
and she said that she was Anne Frank in a previous life. So obviously Anne Frank, whose uh, memoirs about the attic, about uh, the Nazis, uh, uh, you know, taking her away to the concentration camp. Well, she swore up and down she was Anne Frank and she begged her parents to take her to Amsterdam where Anne Frank's house was, which they did um, when she was 12 or 13. And they'd never been there. So no one in the family had ever been to Amsterdam. And again, this is before the days of the internet and you could look things up. She literally led them to Anne Frank's house in a city she'd never been, in a city where her parents had never been. And it's not one of these things like where you would go to say New York and it's like everyone knows where the Empire State Building is. It's just a house, right? So, (laughs) and yeah, she led them there. And yeah, it's, I mean, some of these things, like I say, to me, it's just, it either speaks of really reincarnation or some kind of psychic resonance. You know what I mean? She's one of the ones, Barbara uh, Collins, one of the ones who said that she's never lost these, these past life experiences. So she is one of the ones who says, even now she can still remember it. Or possibly a form of like medium or some kind of like medium. Well, uh, you know a bit about Edgar Casey, or you've you've heard of him at least? Uh, no, please, please tell me about him. So Edgar Casey, actually, man, look, and he's when I get around to Casey, he's probably going to be about a three-part episode because he was a fascinating man. Now Edgar Casey was born in Kentucky, yeah. and um, I can't remember the exact town, but uh, ironically. Uh, his family, um, and when he was born, he lived within like, I want to say 20 to 30 miles from Kelly Hopkinsville, um, in the 1800s. And he, from a very young age, he had what we think now, they think he probably had autism or ADHD. He had some kind of learning disability. He, it's not that he wasn't intelligent, but he struggled in school and his dad was a bit of a disciplinarian and he always, you know, would kind of push him to study and Edgar Casey said that when he was very young and I was like eight off the top of my head kind of eight to ten he said that he saw an entity that talked to him and back then of course everything you always said they were angelic so he said this angel came to him and talked to him and said to him because you know he was all distraught he didn't want to disappoint his dad and everything else and he was crying and this entity came to him and has said put your books under your head and go to sleep and I'll help you when you wake up. Now, apparently when he woke up, he could recite everything in those books, like front to back. And his dad was pissed off because his dad thought he was tricking him somehow, you know, like he's like, there is no way you went from not knowing this stuff to knowing it like instantly. And so he got the nickname, the sleeping prophet. Now that was part of the reason, but the other part of the reason was later in his life, when he was, I, I want to say he was kind of in his early to mid 20s, he developed a very bad problem with his speech, like basically laryngitis that lasted like over a year. He couldn't talk. And so one of his friends or family members had an idea of having a hypnotist hypnotize him and see if they could basically cure this um, this speech problem. And so they put him under and he started talking. Mm. So... He basically told the hypnotist exactly what to do to cure it. So Edgar Casey basically, through his life, he started doing um, 
what he called readings. So he would be hypnotized. And then people had written in generally back then, you know, they didn't travel to see him and there were no telephones. So they wrote letters in to say, I've got uh, scoliosis, you know, like spine curvature, or I've got, uh, like your brother, maybe been in a major farm accident or something. Yeah. What do you suggest? And then they would hypnotize him and put him under. And they said that this voice, so it was obviously his voice, but it was like an out-of-touch voice, almost like now when, you know, you've you've heard these videos and that on YouTube where you've got kind of that AI-sounding voice, yeah. very monotone, and yeah. So a similar voice to that. So it was like it was channeled through Casey. It was in his voice, but it wasn't speaking like he did. And this voice would give what they called readings. And it would say, okay, for this, this is what you want to do. This is how you want to do it. And one of the things like, because of course there have been people who have said it was all a scam. Well, this is one of the fascinating things to me personally. Throughout the years, he had thousands and thousands of people write in to do these readings. Now, maybe you would write in and you would write in about um, having, let's say, uh, psoriasis. So, you know, like skin lesions and that. You would write in and say, I've got psoriasis. What do I do? And Edgar Casey would say, let's say, for example, the issue is at this level, give him two teaspoons of lemon and give him this. Five years later, I would write in and say, I've got psoriasis. And you know what? It wasn't the same prescription that was given. So either he was somehow able to keep all of these different readings straight in his head and what he'd said and what he hadn't, or there was something more to it. And I believe they said his cures were something like 80% successful. Oh. Yeah, it, it was crazy because this guy back then, man, like there were all kinds of, uh, as, as the word got out, he was a bit like... Um, like you've heard about like the healing water at Lourdes and that he was kind of like that at the time. It was like everybody would go to him and he wouldn't, he, he, at first he refused to take any money for anything. And I can't remember who it was, but they basically convinced him at least take something because you're basically, you have no income now and you have a family to take care of because you're doing this full time. So at least take a pittance. So at least you can support your family. Well, later on, as time went on, what actually happened was in one of his readings where somebody wrote in and said whatever their uh, issue was, he basically said that in a past life, this happened, and that's why now they're having this issue. So that's when they started working out to start asking him th other things. Now, Casey talked about Atlantis. He talked about living several times. He talked about being an Egyptian priest, on and on and on. But anyway... What I bringing this back to what I was talking about, uh, as you were saying about that kind of uh, uh, lack of a better term, kind of the hive mind that as a species, we've got this greater kind of mental uh, uh, something out there than what each of us on our own level has. Well, Casey talked about and other people have talked about what's called an Akashic record. The idea of the Akashic record is that somewhere in the universe, there is basically a record of everything that's ever happened to any of us. And so that's one of the other theories about reincarnation. Are these people somehow tapping into this record to be able to know what happened in someone else's life in the past? But all, the, the, all it tells me, man, the, the older I get and the longer my journey's gone is that the more that science thinks they've explained everything, the less I believe them. Because some of these things, maybe one day, 
it'll all be proven and it'll all be tied up in that unified string theory or whatever their thing is mm -hmm. the universal model i think it is they call it that will explain everything but i just i do find it ironic that you know like when i was a kid i remember it was like okay you've got atoms and if you break up atoms there's protons and electrons and that's it yeah. then they said oh well if you break that you know what i'm saying like yeah. i remember reading that that atomic model and being told a proton and electron are the smallest particles there yeah. are full stop not known to man but full stop and now we've got all this stuff like the higgs boson and um quarks, you know what i mean yeah. quarks yeah man and again that's in my fairly brief existence i mean hopefully i got lots of years ahead of me but you know we're not we're not talking about like the 1916 um you know manual or whatever that i was reading out of we're talking about stuff i i was taught in school in the 80s and 90s so yeah, yeah it's pretty crazy like, like like what we're doing now it's really like science this is like in science fiction movies Hello everyone, this is Brandon, the host of the Parunity Podcast, wanting to take a second to tell you about our show. The Parunity Podcast is your top choice for closing the distance between the paranormal groups. From ghosts, to cryptids, to ufology, we will discuss it all. The Parunity Podcast is aimed at promoting positivity and collaboration between investigators, and is geared specifically for those in the field. But if you're not you'll still get a kick out of the show as well, because you'll be able to think of it like Ghost Hunters talking shop. Tune in and join myself and all of our amazing guests as we entertain you with sensational stories of fantastic places, events, tips for your investigations, and so much more. And remember, you can find the Parunity Podcast on your favorite podcast directory and part of the Paranormality Radio Network. Oh yeah, yeah. Crazy. Oh, when look, look when when I was young, we still had the old rotary phone. Yeah. So yeah, we had the rotary phone, and we didn't have them, but I knew neighbors who had the party line. So you've yeah. heard of a party line, at least? Uh, I heard of it, but we never really had it. We had like rotary phones. Yeah. yeah. So the what how the party line kind of worked was it's like a lot of times, especially if. Uh, you, you, you'd like you drive down the street and then you got a house in the front and a house in the back. Yeah. What they would do is they'd have a party line for both houses rather than having a separate line because it was easier. And, and what you would have to do is literally get on the phone and see if someone else was the, on the phone. Yeah. So if you didn't get a dial tone, someone else was talking, but this is where you get that, the term about the housewives eavesdropping because a lot of times yeah. they'd be nosy and they'd want to see what the neighbor was talking about. So they'd very quietly try and get on the line and listen in while they were on a phone call. You know, they wouldn't necessarily hang up when they didn't get the dial tone. <laughs> but yeah, man, all of that. I mean, even, even when I was a boy, we still didn't have CDs. We, we had uh, eight tracks and the records and we did have cassettes, but they were new. I remember when I was young, they were new. And I mean, you never in a million years would have thought even, I mean, even back then, man, it wasn't until the late eighties that I even heard about a, like a cell phone. And those were the ones you had to have in the car, you yeah. know? So it was basically, it was portable, but it was like a military radio almost. You had to carry it and you had to have like a backpack type thing for it. And um, yeah, you're right. I mean, so many of these things that we've got now 
and uh, and and in such a short time. I mean, the internet, even when I was in school, the internet existed, but we only thought of it as like big cities or like yeah. what the military had or the government used and scientists. We definitely never, you know, I never thought in she the early nineties that yeah, it would change my life in the way it does. How like four-year-olds are using it all the time? Crazy. Yeah, uh, there's there's a there's a good one that I've seen on Facebook a few times that makes me laugh, and it goes, you know, they say that a four an average four-year-old can use like 15 apps on their phone, knows their favorite apps, all that, and then it goes. And, and then it goes, and me, when I was four years old and it's got a kid with mud all over his face, it's like, yeah. I was eating mud pies. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah. Right. I was like covered in head to toe mud. <laughs> like, like grabbing frogs out of the river. Ponds. That was me. And, and don't get me wrong, man. I, I wouldn't change. Like my journey has led to who I am now and, yeah. and what my life is now. So I wouldn't change it, but, but yeah, it's, it, it is. And I, look, and I'm sure our parents and our grandparents would have said the same stuff about us, yeah. you know, when we were younger going, Oh, look at them. And look, he's got a bike and you know, we didn't have a bike. We didn't even have a car, you know, it's, yeah. it's uh, but, but it is uh, honestly, man, even, even when I first really started getting onto the internet and so in the kind of late 90s, so like 96, 97, and really started using it. I honestly, back then, man, I never would have thought like what we're doing now would happen. Definitely not video yeah. because that's when you had to wait like three minutes for a JPEG oh, to yeah. download. I remember. Yeah, cause, oh, I used to, cause we had dial up of course. And I used to listen to coast to coast AM with Art Bell. And, you know, he'd say, oh, go on my website and check out the photos. And is that used to be the joke. It's like, it's a good thing you've got a four-hour show so we can actually see the pictures by the end of the show, you know, yeah. whatever he's showing up on his website. Oh, God, no, I love it. Or, turn your finger on it. <laughs> yeah. And then, sure enough, whatever you were doing, you were in the middle of something and somebody pick up the phone and say, get off the phone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Try watching a video back then. <laughs> yeah, that that's it, man. I, and I even remember like when uh, uh, Napster and all that started out, yeah. you'd wait like a day and be lucky to download like one song. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Sure enough, if like you went, like you'd set it up in that and go to work and somebody'd knock you off the, the um, dial up for whatever reason. Yeah. And then you'd come home and find out that the last eight hours uh yet because you know back then again it you wouldn't have the automatic redial and all that so yeah. it's it just you're off and all it would take is somebody calling you i mean it wasn't even be somebody in your house calling it just be incoming call and then bounce you off and oh yeah no you're right it's it's just changed so much um and and again like i say you know in our in our parents time in our grandparents time you go back i i know for a fact my grandparents time there was no refrigeration i mean the refrigeration they had was the ice box you know literally yeah. the block of ice and i remember my mom telling me stories about grandpa having that they had an ice house like a community ice house which was basically like a root cellar with ice in it and that's where they would store the vegetables and that and the meat in the summer uh to try and keep it cool and we were just lucky we were so far north uh, you know, places obviously like Florida and and really warm places, they never would have gotten cold enough to be able to store that stuff. Think about like uh, every generation 
like oh, like our generation has like the internet and social media and our parents had like telephones and tvs and then for that was like letter like every generation has like a little bit different and they'd be like yeah yeah so much generation before us had like always saying the tennis now i was like you're really having so easy like it's always like it's funny well like like me man um i i am a bit split on some of these things that i hear because in some ways like some of these theories or some of these things you hear yeah. i i try not to like i say on my show especially i try never to this is this is how i feel it's a bit disingenuous for me to come on and say like this for example well my theory about the pyramids is right but your theory about um inner earth is completely crackpot it's like general like the general public already thinks i'm nuts for whatever i talk about and it's a bit hypocritical of me to say that whoever's theory is completely bonkers i may believe that inside but you know i always try and keep an open mind like i say but when you start talking about things like black technology uh black budgets and breakaway civilizations and that (laughs) break breakaway civilizations i do wonder what other groups of humans on this planet how far advanced they are from where we are now like i've got no doubt in my mind that at least on so so even if you just say it's only like the world we know so the governments we know the military we know even if at that level i have no doubt in my mind that the u.s military and parts of the u.s government have got technology that's 30 40 50 years ahead of what we know about now and then if you start talking about other potential groups uh that are either like intergovernmental or above that or separate who knows what's out there uh like for example for a long time i try like again you know uh, there's a there's a part of me that's got a pretty good in idea that this whole fossil fuel thing basically what they're doing is they're making all the money off the fossil fuel they can and then when the day comes that they say okay fossil fuel is either too expensive to get or there's not enough of it they'll already have something else lined up and they'll say oh well now we're going to move to hydrogen and it's like well how did you already have that prepared yeah so you know like my feeling is that there are groups that are currently using things like um potentially anti-gravity things like that not on a large scale but yeah it's this this is this is where i kind of get a chuckle where it's like the the whole game in my in my mind is suck every dollar out you can before you move to the next you know technology whatever it may be um what's the saying like uh military technology is always like 10 years ahead of the public technology oh look I, i knew guys in the 70s like who were sorry i knew guys in the 80s who were in the military in the 70s that my family knew and a lot of these guys talked about things like um gps and um and 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 it was around back then but it was very compartmentalized and very quiet i think it was in the early 80s where the u.s military basically developed gps and like it was actually announced that we had it and and a lot of things like this like i've got no doubt like you say 20 years to me personally to me that's very conservative i would say that we're at least 50 years advanced but oh of course they're not gonna spill the beans on that you look at stuff like this so i i do understand where some people come forward and they say oh well the stealth 
is just came out of nowhere and so i'm sure it's alien technology but that's not actually true yeah the stealth the stealth bomber in particular if you go back and you look at a plane called the ho229 which was the horton ho was the german um prefix for the horton brothers the ho229 was a flying wing design that the horton brothers designed for the nazis in 1945 and the thing was that this craft now they think they didn't plan it this way it was more a necessity of the war a lot of this plane was built out of like wood and rubber and but the the thing about the rubber that they didn't realize at the time was that it made it absorb radar and yeah um and it's only really become like fairly well known in the last kind of 10 years uh the um uh national geographic did a bit of a special on it and again me being a history nut and i've i've always been a step ahead on a lot of this stuff because uh like you were saying about when you were younger voracious reader i'd read a lot of things like me personally right again when people say to me if you said to me take any quote unquote conspiracy theory or alternate history that you know you would bet the farm you're sure jt is true what would you choose i mean one of the things to me is that there were multiple high-level Nazis. I don't know if it was Hitler or not, but oh, I've got no doubt that there paperclip? are many of them. Well, well, not no, not just paperclip. Oh, um, but ones that escaped the war and got away basically unscathed. So I'm sure that people like uh, Hans Kommler, who was basically in charge of the Nazi black budget, um, I'm sure that people like Hans Kommler and a lot of other people. Um, and I would just about bet money now that um, the uh, party leader, uh, gosh, I can't think of his name. I can picture him, uh, Martin Borman. I'm almost certain that that those guys escaped either to South America or elsewhere. Again, Hitler, flip a coin because they've never, like as much as it's said that the Russians had Hitler's skull, it's been proven that that wasn't Hitler's skull. Uh, the, the skull that they claimed was Hitler's was a woman's. And the other skull that they had never matched Hitler. It was one of those things where nobody wanted the boogeyman of Hitler running around after the war. So it was like, look, we found a skull. We know that he killed himself. We know that Eva Braun killed himself. Now, maybe they did, but they've never found Hitler's remains. And that's the truth. They've never found the remains of Martin Bormann. They've never... Hans Kommler and Martin Bormann, I think Hans Kommler, there's basically four or five different versions of where he died, depending on which country you listen to. Some people say he died in Hungary at the in 1945. Some people say died in Berlin. Again, it's like when there's that much smoke, it tells me something was up. And the the, the Nazis had so much wealth, and it's been proven now again. When, when I was younger, it wasn't proven, but now it's a fact. So many of them went into Italy, used the Vatican, and used the Catholic Church to escape onto ships as refugees and then basically go to South America. Yeah. So I've got no doubt that many, and and when I say high level, I mean, maybe not Hitler, but guys like you've got like the top level and then the level below that, definitely guys in that lower level escaped. And I'd argue a lot of the guys in the top did. I've also got no doubt that uh, Pearl Harbor, either at the very best, the U.S. people in the U.S. government, I'm not saying everyone, but some people in the U.S. government knew it was going to happen, and they basically let it happen to allow the U.S. to come into the war. Now, 30 years ago, when I was interviewing people who had been through that time, I never would have thought that. And that's the honest-to-goodness truth. 
you would have been called crazy. But the thing is, facts keep coming out. There were Japanese spies basically sitting at the German consulate across from Pearl Harbor, writing down and drawing maps of the way that the U.S. was practicing war games at Pearl Harbor. And basically the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor was the same attack, like conducted the same way. They attacked the same things in the same way. Um, so again, I mean, as history goes on, um, like JFK now, like again, 30 years ago, there were some people who thought, well, maybe there was more to it, but almost everyone was like, no, it was, it was, um, Lee Harvey Oswald with this Italian rifle and, you know, he shot him because he was you know, blah, blah, mm. blah. And now you got all these other, uh, inputs about it and different thoughts and again, I don't know necessarily who did it, but I've got no doubt that he didn't work alone. At the very least, yeah. he had he he was assisted. But you know, so so what I'm saying is, some of these stories to me are a bit far out. Like there's the story of the driver turning around with the pistol and shooting JFK. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, when I was a boy, I remember everybody was like, it was Lee Harvey Oswald, and it was he was by himself and he had no help. At the very least, he had help planning it and preparing. And everything else was it the u.s government maybe maybe not but i mean he had help from someone yeah yeah the, listening to jfk and his there's too many people who would have benefited from his death. yeah too many people like the mafia the government the uh oh yeah it's Ours, ours one theory that uh, apparently the Secret Service got drunk the night before and were like all fucked up and accidentally shot him. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are all kinds of, like you say, there's all kinds of competing theories and, and, and different stories floating around out there. And you can go as, I mean, uh, there, there are some really far out ones. Like I've heard stories that basically JFK was shot by a splinter group of Nazis that survived the war and it was basically them sending a signal to the US government that they better take them seriously because there's there's this whole kind of alternate yeah. and it's the whole Antarctica thing I don't know how much you've heard about it but they basically said that you know there's a Nazi base in Antarctica and there was for a long time and this is tied in with that now again I don't judge other people's thoughts but to me you don't need to go that far to explain it like you say there's very credible things like for example uh, it's come out and again for years it was like oh well that's never been proven but it's come out that the mob was involved in getting yeah. jfk elected in yeah. and that uh, sam giancano basically swung the state of illinois for the kennedys and then basically the deal was you get in and we get a free reign we get left alone and okay. then bobby well, kennedy get, takes uh, over yeah yep we get to fucking have, have fun in cuba that, that well well not just cuba but like in in the u.s as well you know the yeah. justice department's gonna leave us alone we might you know we'll lay low and we'll keep quiet but you're not gonna prosecute you're not gonna investigate us and then sure enough bobby kennedy gets in and straight away oh, i'm gonna crack down on the mob and he came out on in a news like in a news briefing and basically said i'm going after sam giancana and that's that's kind of the story that's floated around in the mob for years is that that was basically his, that was the death warrant for JFK was as soon as he basically named him and said, I'm going after the Chicago mob. It was like, you know, it wasn't just you're going after us. It was like, after we helped you, 
you're going after us and it was like a pride thing yeah. um but i i mean have you seen there the are Irish people man? that have oh yeah of course oh, great movie great movie the the irishman um boondock saints yeah man there's 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 lots of those those movies have you seen boondock saints uh with um the guy from walking dead i'm not sure i know liam neeson was in it and um it's a bit of an older movie it's from i'd say it's from the early 2000s but yeah that's that's yeah two brothers that's it man yeah yeah Yeah. there's lots of those movies out there that are um i'd say there's a lot of movies like the irishman um there might be a bit more fact to them than people think like you know people think oh it's hollywood and it's put on but what's the better what's what's the easiest way of doing something obvious that everyone wants to deny well you just say it's fiction okay um a good example is you've heard of graham hancock or you you know who he is uh yes i he's an actor right no no it's okay so 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 graham hancock is very much one of those guys like we've been talking about graham hancock believes that there was a civilization an advanced civilization here on earth like kind of 10 to twelve thousand years ago and he believes that basically they were wiped out by a oh Graham Hancock asteroid. I know he is yes yeah yeah, yeah. so they were wiped so out he's by, uh, a asteroid I was like yes yes we were, we were talking about this earlier with the fucking asteroid and ice age and stuff that that's it very very much in around that same time frame as the Sphinx erosion well that's what Graham Hancock has said repeatedly is that he gets so tired of arguing with people. It, it's not about the big picture things. So it's not arguing about the asteroid or arguing that there were people, you know, advanced people 12,000 years ago. People will try and pick him apart by saying, you said this pottery was 6,000 years old. Ah, it's only 5,800 years. And he said he got so tired of dealing with that kind of crap that he just started writing books and saying it's fiction because if he says it's fiction... Yeah. what are they going to say but in reality you know he said that this is what i believe happened but by labeling it as fiction then there it basically takes the weapon out of their hand because he just said he's so tired of fighting with people over little mundane things and um uh, there's lots of there's lots of stories man that like you'll talk to i've not known a lot of them but i've had friends and that that have worked in the movie industry and and they've said there are a lot of stories out there that are actually much closer to the truth than we're led to believe but that's why they people don't want to get sued people don't want to be attacked or drugged through the courts about talking about this or that um yeah there's a lot of things in those movies man that are that, that are pretty spot on and and like you say things like uh jimmy hoffa and jfk and a lot of those things that happened in the 60s I was joking with a friend of mine the other day because he had a picture of the, you know, the Mars rover in that, and he had his kids watching it, and he was saying how great it is his kids were watching. So I was joking with him, you know. I said, "Oh, let me know if they find Hoffa up there, would you?" Oh, <laughs> history. Oh yeah, now, it's, and, and and like I say, I often. I'll be slightly like I'll talk about something and I'll be slightly off. Like I might say, Oh, this happened in 1450 between these two. And I'll have one of the countries wrong or something. But, and when I first started doing the the program, I was a bit worried about that, but I've just like the, the audience, no one's ever like got on there and called me out. And if I find out later, 
that I screwed up, I'll just basically come back and say, I got this wrong. Or I, you know, I'm, I'm really sensitive about trying to pronounce things right. So in another country, like I did an episode on, on uh, a very famous uh, UFO case in Wales. Oh, man. Oh, it's so hard to pronounce those Welsh names. Yes. It's like it's completely you look at it and you go, it's this. And it's not even like you're a little off. It's like completely pronounced differently. And so for that episode, I I had to like literally go through and phonetically spell out certain town names in that in my notes so I could get it right. And that's what I always say, man, if, if I've gotten it wrong and somebody knows, tell me I'm, I'm i'm big enough man to say hey look sorry there's never any offense man it's just i'm doing the best i can to get it right i hope uh, we did right okay we've been like three hours we're on my way i'm like way over my estimated time we would do this and doesn't bother me i know you gotta go though man i know it's getting late but it, i can do this all day when when me i too. told you before I'm yeah, when, when I told you before, this is, yeah, when, when I said this is my passion, man, I'm, yeah, in, I'm yeah, yeah it's the same, same as you. And uh, I know you got to work, man. I, I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a homebody right now. So, so uh, no issue for me, but I would look, love I'm, it if you come I, I'm back happy on. to talk anytime. Yeah. Anytime, I would, man. I'll love you to come back on and just listen, chatting with you is awesome. Hope everyone enjoyed it. No, thanks. And, and same, I, I mean, Look, uh, to, to your listeners, my program, like I say, it's really easy to find. It's just called the paranormal sun. And when you look at the little, you know, like they say host, it literally says just JT. Cause I try and keep yeah. it simple and anywhere you want to find me, like any social media again, because I, I know different usernames and that can be confusing. So I've just got like, I've got my show's logo. And it says the paranormal sun in white, anywhere you want to find me, that's my profile photo. So it's not hard. And I mean, I love doing things like this as well, because on my program, there are times I do interviews, but a lot of times it's just me. So yeah, doing me. things like this and, and, and getting different perspectives, it hearing helps. a different input. Yeah, so of course. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. I'd be happy to come on anytime. Thank you. Hope you have a great day. No, thanks, Tanner. Take care. Eh? Take care. All right. Have a good one. Already. from Paranormal Sun. Give them all follow and see those episodes. I'm Tanner, your host of Coast Cryptid. It's been a great day. Thank you for hanging out with me. I'm very tired. Let's get off work at about 11. So I'm going to go get some sleep. I love you.
Hello, everyone. Just want to let you know that you can save 25% off your order by using the promo code COZY on checkout on the merch store. Also, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cozy Cryptid. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.